Continuing our season outlook series here on the Dunked on Basketball podcast with the Toronto Raptors. I'm joined by Blake Murphy of Raptors Republic. We had a chance to hang out at, at in the not so frozen north, actually, as it was at, at the D League showcase. So always good to have you on the program, Blake. Hey, Nate, thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely. So this is one we start on a lot of these with the amount of retention that this team has had, although they've lost some players, as we'll get to. I think it's an interesting question of just how good this team was last year, right after they made the trade for Ibaka and Tucker, or the trades for Ibaka and Tucker. They lost Lowry. He returned just before the start of the playoffs. They won around against Milwaukee, although they looked shaky at times in doing so. And then we're in the midst of getting blown out by Cleveland. Cleveland when Lowry went down with an ankle injury in the third quarter of game two of that series and then the series ended up being a sweep so that obviously maybe was a little bit disappointing for a team that made it to six games in the conference finals the year before so how good were these guys last year I mean were they if healthy do you think they could have actually contended more in the east than they did or is it just all right they're bringing back these guys they're okay they're 50 wins and you know that's just what it's going to be from here on out yeah, disappointing is the right word for it because, you know, for for this has been the core now for four years and, and they've been at roughly the same level. They took that big swing at the Cavs and then everyone was kind of, you know, the same mentality. It's like, okay, if this is your ceiling, you know, take one good shot at it to make sure you can't actually beat Cleveland. See what you really have. And, and Masai Ujiri, who generally loathes in-season trades, um, did that in picking up Tucker and Ibaka and trading some draft pick equity and Terrence Ross to do so. Um, and then they never really got, you know, they played three regular seasons games um, with Lowry, Ibaka, Tucker, and DeRozan all in the lineup together. And then you mentioned, you know, Lowry went down in the playoffs and it's not a secret that he wasn't, you know, he shot the ball well. He had a, a 59% true shooting percentage in, in his playoff appearances, but he was never really himself. Um, so we didn't get a good look at them uh, to really judge it. And there is, you know, good players play together and they can fit together pretty seamlessly and pretty quickly. But this group, the new core, never really got a, a chance to mesh together. Together. So, um, and they won't because PJ Tucker's gone now. Um, Serge Bach is obviously back, but there's some other changes on the roster with Corey Joseph and Damari Carroll outbound. Um, so I don't think we'll ever really get a good idea of what the Raptors, you know, taking their their real swing at the Cavs, you know, what that ceiling was. I don't think they were constructed well enough to beat the Cavs still, um, but I, I was surprised, um, you know, at the time that the Raptors couldn't have a comparably competitive series with the Cavs um, compared to the year before because they were better on paper. Uh, at the end of last year than the year before and you know statistically they were roughly the same although there was a bunch of noise based on DeRozan and Lowry injuries and that like six-week malaise that they had and then Patrick Patterson falling off a cliff at the end of the year um, so I don't think we'll know just how good they were uh, but I think now if you zoom out and you look at what they've been the last four years what they are this year um, you know they're still kind of give or take one player or, or one injury they're around this 50 win mark which is you know fine but it's not exciting enough to to really get too worked up when you look at you know Cleveland until maybe a post LeBron era yeah you know I had hoped that they might be able to defend Cleveland better than they did they had a lot of guys who were talented defensive players then the offense really disappointed me as well against Cleveland that was not a good defensive group for Cleveland and yet they look great especially in those first two games kind of shutting down this Toronto team Serge Ibaka I thought was exposed to some degree his inability to make decisions that was a disappointment he took 
a lot of bad shots, I thought, both in the Milwaukee series and in that one. And even the Milwaukee series, they struggled really more than would have been hoped with that team. And one of the things that's vexing about these guys for a long time for prognosticators like myself who believe somewhat in the predictive power of the regular season and point differential and all these projections has been that they always seem to underperform in the playoffs. Why has that been? And is it again, do you think that's just bad luck or is it really something that's systemic and that we can expect to continue to be the case with this group? I mean, I think it's happened enough now that you can't necessarily, you can't really write it all off as noise. Um, You know, they have two ball dominant stars offensively who haven't played their best in the playoffs. And, you know, DeMar DeRozan's game, DeMar DeRozan is very great at what he does. Um, There's a good argument to be made that he's a guy that you can game plan for a little bit more over seven games. uh, And when defenses are a little better in the playoffs, Lowry, I think his struggles are maybe more a crime of his regular season usage where the Raptors maybe haven't prioritized his long-term health the best. Um, You know, it's three of the last four years now he's been dealing with something come playoff time and he's been, you know, roughly top 10 in minutes per game in each of those seasons, top 10, top 20. Um, So, you know, something needs to change there. And then to hear Masai Ujiri and the Raptors tell it, Masai uh, very famously now suggested a culture reset uh, at the end of the season. And that wasn't, you know, it was a term that everyone ran with because he said it and and he sounded pretty adamant about it. Um, But it's more, you know, they want to become less predictable offensively and they want to be tougher to game plan for. Um, The moves that they've made in the offseason haven't necessarily bore that out. Um, You know, they look a little less dynamic, maybe, unless some of the young guys take a step forward. They look um, worse on paper defensively than a year ago. So there's there are some question marks about how exactly this team plans to remedy what's plagued them in the playoffs. And a lot of that has been their offense kind of kind of falling off a cliff. Um, And we the truth is, we won't know until until we see any tweaks to the system. And, you know, whether Dwayne Casey opens up more of Nick Nurse's offensive playbook, whether their non shooters or their average shooters shoot a little more freely on threes, if DeRozan comes back with a three point shot. Um, But you know, it's tough to it's tough to look at how the season ended and and how the you know, it's the Raptors underperformed in 2015-16, but still made the Eastern Conference final. So we'll say 2014-15 and 2016-17, you look at the way in which they underperformed, um, you don't really see a remedy in how they've approached the offseason. So it's uh, it's still kind of a giant question mark about this team. And as the East gets a little better in that second tier, that meaty second tier that maybe Boston's graduated from, but Washington and Milwaukee now joined Toronto in, um, you know, they're, they're getting to a point where maybe there's not even a certainty of winning uh, a playoff series if you get home court and you're one of the lower home court teams so it's definitely something they'll have to figure out over 82 yeah with this group uh, i mean i don't care what they do in the regular season i'm never gonna just pencil them in of winning a playoff series just because of now some of the playoff disappointments that they've had quickly here because i do want to talk more about the upcoming season and what this team is going to be but they had with lowry ibaka free agents patterson tucker those big four they did have a chance maybe to just totally hit the reset button. I mean, it sounds to me like you're not particularly sanguine about what their prospects are for really competing with Cleveland this year. I feel similarly, but you know, they should be in the high forties, low fifties. You would guess we'll do our predictions later, but do you think they made the right decision in keeping this group together? Even if they have maybe a lowered ceiling than might've been hoped, but maybe was never really believed in before this. 
Yeah, I was I was kind of I entered the offseason and this is wishy-washy, but I was about 60-40 on whether I wanted them to keep everything together um, or blow it up because logically and analytically, I know that if the big picture goal is to win a championship, this group is probably not going to get there. Cleveland exists with LeBron James, at least for one more year. Uh, Boston and Philly and maybe even Milwaukee are on the upswing. And then Golden State exists at West. And there, there are always going to be teams that step into that void. Um, to You know, there's always you're, there are very few seasons in NBA history where there wasn't one or two very good teams that you might run into. Um, so to take a step back and do that, I would have understood um, at the at the start of the offseason, it looked like maybe there would be this tanking vacuum, although several East teams moved to f- fill it pretty quickly. Um, had yes. I... Had I thought, though, that you could get Lowry and Ibaka on three-year deals, um, I would have been even further toward keeping the group together. I think for a franchise that has struggled, um, not only in their own market to sustain attention, but league-wide to uh, sustain a reputation as a well-run group, as, as a quality franchise, um, you know, Masai Ujiri has talked a lot about the organizational equity they've built with hosting the G League Showcase and um, hosting the All-Star Game and getting interviews with, say, LaMarcus Aldridge when he was a free agent the other year. Um, these things that don't they don't have a tangible impact on, on the the team's record but in terms of building the organization up um, they're important and I think staying at this level while some people hate the treadmill or, or whatever you want to call it of uh, being a second round team for five or six years uh, I think if you're a franchise that hasn't had that sustained success at any point like this is the first time they've made the playoffs four years in a row in, in 20 plus seasons um, I think there's still value in that and I think they've probably looked at this saw a potential opening in 2018-19 if LeBron James does leave Cleveland. Uh, and then because they were able to keep everyone on three-year deals, uh, if you assume DeMar DeRozan is going to opt out of his fourth year, you know, you kind of had the reset button as soon as the summer of 2019, where expiring contracts might have more value. Um, so I totally understand kind of kicking the, the big picture decision down the line a little bit, staying good, if not great, and then kind of just keeping that opportunity open if, you know, a Dallas Mavericks situation, it's not going to with the way the, the league is currently constructed, but maybe you can get a final run if LeBron James gets hurt or if you know he leaves and, and there's a little bit of a vacuum at the top of the east next year I agree almost entirely with what you said if it had been a situation where the market was like the market in 2016 and you had to give five-year deals to Lowry and Ibaka at the rates that they ended up getting three-year deals at then I think you'd have to think a lot more seriously about maybe trying to reset and, and go younger and, and pop sure. back up again in three or four years but now yeah with only three year deals like you know being the five seed every year is not that's not useless you know your fans get an enjoyable season you get to continue to add someone like Kyle Lowry or, or DeMar DeRozan to being a potential franchise legend you know number retired ring of honor type of guy that this team has not really had I and mean, Vince Carter is really the only guy and he's you know obviously had that ugly departure so they don't have those sorts of players in in Raptors lore so I, I think it, they probably made the, the right call here but then so Ibaka returning three years 65 million uh, off the top of my head Lowry three for 90s got incentives that could push that up to 100 they were not able to bring back Tucker and Patrick Patterson although neither of them signed for an amount that really broke the bank and they brought in 
CJ Miles and let's see who who am I forgetting here that they also brought in? That's about it, right? No, nobody notable, yeah. The draft yeah. picks and then you know guys competing for camp spots. Yeah, so they brought in Miles. How do you see Miles fitting? Is he going to start at the three? Is that what the plan is? Um, the plan. So from talking to the team in Vegas, uh, and this was when they could, of course, only talk about things in in the theoretical because the CJ Miles deal wasn't official. Um, it sounded like the plan was for Norman Powell to start. Um, you know, but that's pretty. That's still open. It's going to be open in camp, um, and it's a tough trade off because you know that starting lineup. If Norman Powell starts alongside DeRozan, um, you know you're going to be tight on spacing even with Ibaka's shooting ability at the four, because I think Jonas Valanciunas is going to start at center. Um, so you're you're looking at a real spacing versus defense trade-off uh, because either you have two, we'll call Norman, we won't call Norman Powell a non-shooter, but you know, over his career so far, he's roughly an average three-point shooter, maybe a shade below. If you have him and DeRozan as your wings, that's potentially a spacing issue. And then if you have CJ Miles and DeRozan as your wings, um, you're in pretty tough shape defensively. So um, not that Miles is bad, but he probably tops out around average on the wing. Um, um, so I, I don't know. That's a that's a tough situation. I think it's going to be something that they're open with in camp, and it, it might be fluid even entering the year until you know one of the units, whether you know Dwayne Casey doesn't have his Lowry in the bench group anymore, like he's had for the last two years. So maybe uh, he'll be looking for some sort of spark off the bench, and that could determine it. Um, personally, I, I would. I'm very torn on it. I might lean starting CJ Miles and, and have Norm Powell in kind of the sixth man role, uh, just because spacing would be so cramped, and Powell would be such a nice fit in that sixth man role. Um, you know, playing with Lowry when DeRozan sits, playing with DeRozan when Lowry sits, help him and DeLon Wright have a really nice chemistry. Um, so yeah, it's a, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure there, but yeah, it, it, to your point about, you know, losing these guys, the Patrick Patterson deal is obviously curious and the relationship soured here. Um, and now he's had knee surgery. So maybe you get an idea of why his, his contract was so small. And then Tucker, that's just a tough one where they offered Tucker more money over one year fewer. They, I think, I think I was told that three years, 33 million is what they offered Tucker versus the 432 he signed in Houston which doesn't even have a fully guaranteed fourth so um, at least they tried in in that respect but uh, yeah it's tough to you know they're not they're not better on paper player to player than than they ended the season last year which is uh, which is kind of a tough one yeah Uh, and part of that of course was the tax well that's it I had not heard that that was their offer for Tucker and I mean if if that's I I wouldn't have wanted to go beyond that uh, with him and so if he didn't take it I mean that's you know, they did everything they could there also they traded away Corey joseph essentially uh, trading him uh, for miles and they did need some more uh, on the wing i think that that contract for miles not a bad one basically three years uh, about 22 million as i recall and so it, it's yeah uh, I, I like miles a lot on yeah. that number and you know joseph is a joseph's a nice backup but if you believe in delon Wright, and i'm a believer that he can be an nba backup you know he's a little superfluous when you look at the the tax crunch they were in and now they've managed to get themselves you know they're a hair beneath it even yeah and joseph's contract potentially expiring at the end of the year with his yeah. player option miles will be under contract for another three years i probably would like to start uh, powell and said i may have a higher opinion of him than you do and a higher opinion of his shooting than you do i do think that with right you really need miles to be out there with him as really their only plus shooter from downtown i mean i guess lowry and Wright could play together a fair amount as well but Wright is such a non-shooter i mean really from anywhere outside of like about 17 feet that i think you need to have more shooting around him as well um who do you think yeah, is actually, someone who can so, yeah go ahead sorry no i was just gonna because i know that you're someone who's really high on Norman powell and uh, i am too like i'm a i watch him a lot at ucla because i'm a ucla 
NCAA fan at the college level um, and was really high on him right from summer league before his rookie season. Um, and I know you're a guy who's really high on him too. So I was I was excited to talk to you about, you know, what you see him looking like. And I don't know if you have this teed up for later in the podcast. So if you want to save it for later, but, um, you know, Powell, he's going to be such a big swing piece for them this year, jumping from 18 minutes to something in the neighborhood of 30. Um, and you mentioned this, he's at 35% over, you know, 262 attempts over two years, which is, which is pretty solid. Um, but yeah, you, you're, you're still really high on Norman Powell. I know some of the advanced metrics don't, don't love him at the defensive end, but you, you see him being like a, like a very capable rotation player for this team, right? Yeah, I do. And the problem that they've always had with DeRozan really is finding someone next to him who can be like a real quality three and D contributor. Of course, Carol was supposed to be that guy. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't really able to be due to health. And also just because I think in general is a, a little bit too light in the shorts to really deal with some of the guys that they had to deal with, including uh, of course, LeBron at the three and Paul has that, that same difficulty. I mean, Paul is still is going to be their best option against someone like LeBron. Uh, they don't really have it. Anybody else with Patterson, gone i mean they don't even have anyone who's more of a five that they can slide in there and so it does seem like part of the reason with tucker moving on and they did try to bring him back of course but uh that's part of why i mean when you look at the way they match up against some of these other teams in the east now boston they got nobody guard gordon hayward really either he's probably got too much size for powell as well and so you think now it seems like more than ever the goal is just to kind of all right we, we we tried to get guys that we thought would match up well with Cleveland I thought they would match up well with Cleveland it didn't work out and with them being free agents Patterson Tucker being gone it's just all right you know we'll try to win our 50 games and then we're not going to match up well with Cleveland but and we're going to lose but so be it yeah I don't I don't think that that's you know not what they're thinking and I think I think they I think that they think there's a pretty legitimate chance LeBron leaves Cleveland and as the yeah. as the offseason wears on you know, it's hard not to get that impression. I'm sure you read the the Woj piece the other day about how Cleveland's right. operating the Kyrie Irving situation. Um, yeah, so I don't... I, I think probably after two cracks at them and after taking their swing last year, yeah, you're probably right that they looked at it and were like, well, you know, there's no sense beating our heads against the wall and mortgaging everything to lose a closer series to Cleveland. Um, so yeah, and, and you know, part of what this team is going to hang its hat on and, and it's risky is they are one of the youngest good teams in the league over the last couple of years and they've got all these young guys. If one or two of them hits and if Norman Powell is, you know, the guy that you and I have over the last two years thought he might become... Um, um, you know, maybe that's maybe that shifts thing a, a little bit, not to Cleveland competing level, but um, you know, Powell's such a big swing piece. It's it, that's a how he progresses this year is going to be really interesting, and and could really, I mean, ahead of free agency too, restricted free agency for him, change the trajectory that this team you know approaches 2018-19 with. Yeah, the the main thing that I see that he needs to improve his shot can always get better, though it's been a positive surprise considering where he was coming out of UCLA, and then uh, also just his ability to make decisions. Go going to the basket he basically if he's going to drive a closeout he's got basically a one-track mind he's he's missed a lot of open guys especially in the playoffs when he would drive in but who else do you think uh is an improvement candidate on this team outside of Powell that's an interesting question um you know I think DeLon Wright I don't know how much people have gotten to see him he only played 445 minutes 
last year. Um, so it might not even be improvement, but I think people might be surprised at how um, polished Wright already looks. I know the shooting is a concern, um, but he is he's a very smart passer in transition. He runs the break wall, which should be good for what promises to be a young second unit and maybe a fast second unit. Um, and then defensively, he's, he's very savvy and crafty. He uses his length well. So um, I think people will be interested to see see what Wright looks like. And I think maybe some people outside of Toronto will be impressed by what he looks like. Um, and then really, I mean, the big, if you assume that Jakob Pertl is going to take the backup center role over Lucas Noguera, which it looks like, um, you know, Pertl maybe has a bit of a ceiling. So Pascal Siakam is the big then that, you know, this team might look to. He might be the ninth or 10th man. Um, and he might be a guy that he, he was obviously overcast out of the gate starting 38 games with, you know, he, he came out of college and he was called a little raw and he was the 27th overall pick. Um, this was not a guy that was expected to be starting half a season for them right away. And he looked overmatched, but he does some things well. And, and the team's been um, internally really, really excited about the progress he's made already this offseason. Not to the point that, you know, he's going to be a, a 30 minute a game guy for them. But if those 15, 16 minutes he gave them last year now come off the bench um, and his energy is kind of infectious in that second unit and, and his defense goes from being um, kind of hyper and over energetic and a little scrambled to a little more contained. Um, he's a guy that they're, they remain really high on. So um, after Powell and Wright, he's probably the guy that has a little bit of upside there. Obviously, his role is capped behind Serge Ibaka and with the number of centers that they have. Um, but he even, you know, they they think he could play even some small forward offensively, which I don't necessarily, I don't think that's the best use yeah, of him. I, I doubt um, that. I, I doubt that. I think he could play small forward defensively against some of the best guys. Uh, but yeah, offensively, I would be pretty skeptical there. Yeah, like last year, he got to take a crack at Durant and uh, Carmelo early in the year defensively. And, and I think I think he might end up one of their better options to throw out against those kind of power three or small ball four type of guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's or a guy. The only option. <laughs> yeah. Really, I mean, and he's going to get a yeah. chance because they don't have anybody else. I mean, it's either going to be Powell or, or it's going to be them or, or it's going to be him or it's going to be Miles. And Miles yeah. has failed repeatedly in that role in Indiana. And Powell, for despite the fact that he's strong and long for his 6'4 height, uh, you know, is still going to be overmatched against guys like that. So maybe it, it has to be Siakam. He'll get his chances, I'm sure. Yeah, especially, you know, he's going to have, you know, at least a month or two to, to try to lock down that role because OG Ananobi, who, you know, long-term projects as maybe that guy defensively, or at least their best candidate to be that guy defensively, um, he's not expected to be ready for the start of the season, and he's probably going to need some G League time um, on kind of a rehab assignment. So Siakam's going to have a little bit of a window to, to run with that, you know, whether it ends up being the ninth or the tenth man role, the fourth big role. I'll take a quick commercial break here, and we'll be right back with Blake Murphy. About once a month, my girlfriend and I will be getting ready to go somewhere, usually somewhere that we have to be at on time. And all of a sudden, I'll realize that I don't have my wallet or I don't have my keys. And I'll look in all the usual places and they're not there. Sometimes I'll just leave it on the bathroom counter in my bathroom, which doesn't really make any sense. Why would I leave it there? It takes me forever to find it. Sometimes it falls in between our couch. We really would be nice to get a new couch. I hate that thing. Or I'll leave it on top of this dresser as I'm picking out clothes and just forget that it's over there because it's kind of out of the way. You don't really walk past it. But fortunately, those days are now behind me thanks to Tracker. When you misplace an item that has a tracker, 
or Pixel attached. You can use your smartphone and a 90 decibel alert will help you find it in seconds. It has powerful LED lights so you can find it even in the dark and you can locate your item even if it's miles away because every tracker user is part of the largest crowd locate network in the world and their 30 day money back guarantee means you have nothing to lose. I've already put this on my keys. It's basically smaller than any keychain would be maybe about an inch in diameter, maybe half a centimeter in thickness, weighs nothing. It's got a little chain attached to it so you can put it right on your keys very easily fit it into a pocket in your wallet it won't be obtrusive so if you're tired of all the items that you always lose plotting against you hiding somewhere and trying to make you late worry no more go to the tracker t-r-a-c-k-r.com that's the the tracker t-r-a-c-k-r.com enter that familiar promo code cap space i'll get you 20 percent off of any order make sure you enter that cap space code of course to let them know that you came from us that's the tracker t-r-a-c-k-r.com promo code cat space for 20 percent off so do you think DeRozan can get better yeah yeah why not right he, he gets he adds something to his game every year <laughs> he, he, he does he does get better every year i mean as m- much derided as he is he still goes to a higher level it seems like nearly every season yeah and you know DeRozan obviously gets criticized for certain parts of his game and there are some of those criticisms are fair he is most of the time a very bad defender he is not the best passer in the pick and roll even though his overall passing you know he's had a 20 plus percent assist rate each of the last two years um and then his offensive game you know his shot selection is not what you draw up in a lab but he's what i think over the last two years there have only been 25 player seasons where a player had a usage rate of 29 percent or higher and a true shooting of 55 percent or higher and part of that is because if your true shooting percentage is lower than that you shouldn't be shooting that much um but DeRozan has two of those seasons so um, the way Toronto's constructed you know they need him to kind of carry a a fairly maybe not a 34% usage role but a fairly significant offensive role Um, and he's gotten better within it I think what what he can do better this year is passing out of the pick and roll obviously if he added the three-point shot um, that would be lovely he shot 40% from the corners last year on a small volume of attempts they're never going to design the offense where he's in the corner much but if his above the break threes can improve a little bit Uh, but really the big thing is if you look at the guys that they lost and the type of player they lost he has to be better defensively and and at this point you know he's 27 um he'll be 28 at some point during the season I think Uh, there's not you know there's not really a reason I I understand that you use a ton of energy at the offensive end um and that there's always going to be a better defender on the floor on the wing for the Raptors but he's got to be he's got to be better at that end of the floor because he he gives them so much offensively and you still see consistently consistently you know they're better with him off the floor or you know the Lowry bench unit outperforms the DeRozan bench unit and and all of these things and there's context that everyone needs to understand with it but also you know he has to be better defensively yeah I thought he took some small strides forward defensively last year I mean it used to be he at least sporadically you would see plays where he competed and competed to go and get loose balls I thought like at the end of games in the Milwaukee series he actually made some okay plays denying on the wing or getting into guys just a little bit to where he at least made it slightly more difficult for the guy that he he was guarding but yeah overall just the the level of competitiveness that he shows on on the defensive end and in the floor game obviously leaves a lot to be desired and then of course when you don't have to guard him if he doesn't at the three-point line when he doesn't have the ball in his hands and also because their offense is pretty stagnant they don't move the ball side to side they apparently have a very low assist rate they're very susceptible to trapping off of him when Lowry is trying to do something or just helping off of him and there's so little movement 
movement that you can always just get back to him if you need to anyway you know he's not going to kill you with like this awesome backdoor cut or you know they don't have great passers out of the high post that can kind of run the dho game with him and and uh let him go back door and get layups and dunks so it, it does become difficult and maybe the shooting can come around i mean those but those are the main two areas the defense and the shooting i, I don't see and i guess passing as well so it's it, what did you think of him making uh all nba did he deserve that to you um just sorry before i touch on that i i agree with you that he definitely had stretches last year particularly after pj tucker arrived and kind of like friendly in a friendly way was like hey demar has to play more defense and i'm gonna make sure he does um i did think and you know maybe it's damning with faint praise but i did think he had one of his better stretches from the all-star break on um you know i don't know how much the the isolated numbers back that up all nba um look when you get down to the sixth guard spot on the all nba teams it's gonna come down to preference or you know what i i basically i'm i'm at a spot where i'm not gonna be upset with most of the people who get in there i probably would have had him slightly outside if i had a ballot um just looking at the whole contributions of of some of the other guards you know i but i'm also of the mind that i would have had chris paul on my on my ballot if i had one i thought he oh yeah you know, at, sure. six, at 60 games you know he played enough and that would have bumped the rosen i think um so i don't like i'm not upset that he made it obviously and it's a great great honor for DeRozan for all the work he's put in and it's nice for the raptors to have that um if raptors fans are listening they're obviously going to get mad at, that i say he you know nece- not wouldn't have necessarily been on my ballot um, but i think he was fringy like it like if there were a fourth team nba he would have been on that one for sure so it's you know the hairs were splitting isn't the uh isn't the end of the world i i would guess that you thought he shouldn't have been on it uh you guessed correctly <laughs> <laughs> and, and frankly i i don't have to face quite as much of the wrath of raptors nation in, in my mentions as you do uh but what about potential regression candidates for this team lowry uh, comes to mind first uh, just d- due to age though he deserves a ton of credit for having really forestalled age-related regression over these past two seasons yeah i'm, I'm very curious actually to see what lowry could look like with a lighter minute so and i know losing Corey joseph um is gonna hurt the their ability to play without him for longer stretches but he's averaged over 37 minutes each of the last two years and yeah you know for well, well for he guy, had that wrist injury though right all right so i mean can you really yeah that was his injury why he was out and then you know maybe wasn't quite there yet in the playoffs so i mean that like he had plenty of rest going into the playoffs last year granted the wrist may have messed him up and i don't think you can point to a wrist injury as a product necessarily of playing too many minutes although i i agree with you that in prior seasons perhaps he wore down especially uh in 14 15 and maybe 13 14 as well yeah sorry it's more that like the more minutes you play the more susceptible you are to random things that aren't fatigue related too right like the more you're on the court um and no they they weren't related i more mean that like he's a guy that was when he when he kind of hit the all-star level and when they were evaluating the first extension with him and i'm sure with this one he's kind of a young 30 for the point guard position because he spent the bulk of his career not playing heavy minutes early on and not playing a ton um but now he's kind of you know he's hitting an age where point guards will start to decline a little bit and i'm i would like to see you know if that 37 37 and a half becomes 34 and maybe you know each of those minutes he then he can sustain that level of play over fewer minutes because at some point you would think he'd come back down to earth um you know in in some areas whether it's the defense which slid a little bit at times last year um you know his his finishing inside the paint last year was i think at a career best level and i'm not sure you know how that holds up as guys age And, and 
And 30-31 is not the age to be concerned with this at. I'm, I'm just kind of hypothetically what, what changes for Lowry could look like. Uh, but the shooting has consistently gotten better, and I don't think that's going anywhere. And I don't think his intelligence running the offense is going anywhere. So I'm not too worried about him taking a step back. And if you look at, you know, if you price Lowry in for only 70 games just to be safe, I think that in your expectations, um, if you keep that in your expectations, you won't be too disappointed with what Lowry gives you. Um, do you, you don't see, you don't see him taking a step back yet, eh? Uh, no, I mean, I would expect an, an incremental one. Uh, and I think you're right because of the shooting, he, he could age a little bit better. But I, I did think that uh, although he did shoot, uh, as you said, let me look at it here. Yeah. So last year, he did shoot 68% at the rim, which is a, by far a career high. He did take a, a smaller percentage of his shots at, at the rim, although he's been pretty consistent about that as well since he arrived in Toronto. So maybe, I mean, I, I subjectively saw a lot of times where when he was younger, he really had like, I, I would always say like, that's a Philly point guard finish when he'd go up and just use <laughs> that big body and knock guys back. I did subjectively see fewer of those. It did seem like a lot of times he was really just, kind of body hunting and trying to get the call instead of legitimately trying to finish the play so i mean and that's just as a six foot point guard who was never a spectacular athlete even in his prime i think that is something that can can drop off his usage dropped down a little bit last year as well i think he'll continue to be an effective player i mean this guy was number 10 in rpm in the entire nba and and the advanced stats in contrast to DeRozan, have really loved him i've always been a more yeah. of a lowry fan than a lot of people and you know two years ago i ranked him in the top 10 players in the NBA he didn't really validate that with his playoffs so yeah I, I think he could take a step back and maybe you know especially the older you get there could be more of a major injury I mean most of the stuff he's had has kind of been wear and tear or acute stuff that's not related to some larger problems so that that's good but yeah I could see him dropping off and then Ibaka is the other guy too who they sign yeah. he is uh in contrast I think to Lowry you could look at Ibaka as an old 27 and you know he obviously disputes this very heavily but there he's always been dogged by rumors about whether that age is actually correct as well yeah and even if he i mean i'm sure he i'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt on that kind of stuff um but he's been logging heavy minutes since he was 21 and playing um you know almost every other than 2014-15 he's never missed more than four games since his rookie year and he's been a part of fairly deep playoff runs a lot of those seasons and he had he had what he had a calf thing and a knee thing at different points um yeah so I, I think really the line of demarcation in his career to me has been he had off-season surgery it was prior to the 2015-16 yes yes thank you yeah so it, it was and I really think he he at that point his game changed a lot he really pushed back out to the three-point line more than he had uh and just wasn't as effective blocking shots really being an athlete and so I it was since then he's kind of been on the downswing over these last two or three years and whatever age you want to say that he, he is that's a somewhat of a disturbing trend other than the fact he shot a higher percentage from three-point range uh which I, I think is helpful but you know it gets to the foul he's never been a high foul line guy as well but he was a guy who used to average over three blocks per 36 minutes in his heyday in okc and now he was down to 1.7 blocks per 36 minutes in his toronto days although he had some moments in especially in that milwaukee series protecting the basket yeah and i i think the the top 
thing about Ibaka at this stage, and he would tell you the same, um, is that he's probably best cast as a center at this point. And the Raptors obviously faced with the decision this offseason to either give a young, talented player in Jonas Valanciunas away for nothing, or pay a team to take Damari Carroll, um, opted to get to pay a team to take Carroll and keep Valanciunas. So uh, Ibaka's I don't know if playing... they even could give him. I don't know if they even could give away Valanciunas for nothing right now, to be honest. Yeah, it, it was. It's. I mean, it, whether they whether there was a taker for him at the price of free or they'd have to take a, a salary back to make the math work or whatever um it, anyway the decision came down and they opted to keep Valanciunas and so Abaka is not going to be at you know he'll probably close games as their center but otherwise he's not going to play a ton of minutes there so defensively um you know he's not going to be the guy that his reputation for a, a long time has suggested he is so um you know he wasn't that guy for stretches last year for the Raptors some of his advanced metrics while with the team um you know when you isolate for certain situations weren't weren't you know super encouraging at the defensive end um you you mentioned in the Cleveland series too where he kind of kind of got exposed and teams you know he can hit a high percentage of threes but he's not the best decision maker outside of that um so yeah there's a little bit of concern there maybe not that he regresses because last year was uh, probably the worst season since he became good uh, but that he stays at that level um and, and isn't you know the OKC guy that the Raptors ha- had been searching for for so long when they landed him um and he's gonna have to figure out how to get the most out of defending the power forward position because that's where he's gonna be a lot of the time um because you don't want you know you can't have Valanciunas roaming the perimeter so Ibaka can protect the rim so you mentioned that you think Ibaka might close the center what do you see as uh what Dwayne Casey's crunch time lineup will be and what do you think it should be uh that, this is a tough one because for years now Casey has closed with two point guards um whether it was Lowry Joseph before that it was uh usually Lowry and, and Lou Williams if you want if we can count Lou Williams as a as a point guard because he's small defensively um so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out I think what makes I think based on Casey's history what would would make the most sense to me is probably um Lowry, DeRozan, Powell, Miles, and Abaka. And you're small at the four in that in that case, and you're not making up with that. Like you you're switchy across Powell, Miles, and DeRozan. Um, but because Miles is maybe average at best and DeRozan's a below average defender, the value of that switchability is maybe not not as high as yeah. it is in different lineups. But the counter But that's would their be five either... best guys. That, yeah. That's their five best guys. You know, I mean I, I think that I, I agree with you on the fit, but that probably would be the way i'd go as well maybe maybe if yeah. siakam could like grow into being more of a threat he and abaka could play together in the front court and then you could go with either whoever of miles or powell you thought fit better at the time that could be an option maybe as well yeah and, and you know casey has liked to keep two point guards on the floor and they like they could use the lawn rights defense late in games but i'm not sure if you know yeah, that you can't would play basic- him and DeRozan together like right. that, would, that is just going to kill your spacing i think right in Unless you have Wright handling the ball full time and Lowry spotting up, but then you know yeah. you're you're not maximizing the pieces that you have on the floor. Um, the one other thing I could see, and it's it's a huge if for late in the year, um, but maybe OG Anunoby, if if he is as good defensively as people seem to think he's going to be, maybe he factors in as a small four. Um, obviously, he brings some offensive difficulties, but maybe if you invert the offense a little bit because Ibaka can shoot. Um, there's not a there's not a perfect setup here, so I lean toward going with the five best guys. 
Yeah, if I had to guess, this has the feel, Ananobi, and especially when you look at what the history has been of players who have torn their ACL in their college seasons around the time that Ananobi did, they generally have sat out nearly their entire rookie years, if not their entire rookie years. And they're all, it just, the the fact that he fell as far as he did, and just the fact that there was like this shadowy, like no one even knew that it was an ACL for like four months, or just, oh, he suffered a significant knee injury, and no one actually said what it was it, it sounds to me like it was like pretty severe that maybe it might even be worse than like your normal acl injury so if if i had to guess i would say he plays like under 200 minutes for like the the, the raptors this year I, do you think it's possible and this is another just general playing time issue i think it's actually quite possible that proto could be better than valanchunas as soon as this year do you think that or am i too high on, on proto at this point um it depends i mean better within the context of what the raptors want at of that position yes. um possibly because Pirtle you know he's you, we, people like to say that Valanciunas was underused Jakob Pirtle was the least past two rotate player in the NBA last year um so <laughs> that's in, a great stat of, that is a great yeah stat. um one of the 538 guys um like quantified how often guys got passed through relative to pass opportunities and he was the least passed through and criminally Bebe was the second least passed through uh player in basketball but Pirtle I mean he is he's better than Valanciunas defensively he's a, a smarter player on that end of the floor he's he can switch a little bit more on high wall which the Raptors like to do on the side um he's a, a pretty savvy offensive rebounder he's not going to match Valanciunas on the glass and, and defensive rebounding is a big weakness with Pirtle right now i think he had a defensive rebound rate around 14 percent last year um and again sample size caveats apply but when you're a center and you rebound better on the offensive glass than the defensive glass that's a bit of an issue uh but yeah he, what he does offensively you know kind of fits this minimalistic role that the raptors have for their center he sets decent screens uh he can make that pass catching on the roll and making a quick decision and then he can get some garbage buckets around the rim so um i don't think he's you know as talented as valanciunas yet um, I don't think he he has the offensive upside yet, but when you factor in the defensive edge and um, the the fact that he would be playing a similar role on offense, I could see it getting to a point where you know it's a conversation. Hey, should Valanciunas and Pirtle be playing equal minutes? You know, maybe you even close a game with a Baca Pirtle if Pirtle's playing well and the matchup allows. Yeah, this is one of the things that we've just seen in general with, with centers is, you know, if Pirtle and Valanciunas were going to play one-on-one, like Valanciunas would probably kick his ass, right? Like he'd get right. into the post, he'd just knock him back. He has a, the higher skill level, good free throw shooter, all that stuff. But it just like, they don't go to the post that much. And when they do, Valanciunas turns it over or he can't get position and they just waste half of the possession trying to get it into him. And especially at the end of games, he is probably an underrated guy, uh, as a pick and roll role man but i think Pirtle is pretty good at that as well as you mentioned so if you're not going to just throw valentunas the ball and the offensive rebounding is nice but you also don't want to be giving up transition opportunities at the end of the game when he because he's kind of slow getting down court and when you go for the offensive board you're trapped under the basket if you don't get it so yeah i think if you're not going to utilize his best skills then it does maybe make more sense for, for Proto or, or, of course, Ibaka, as, as you mentioned, also. Any other really, like, playing time battles that 
you're going to be focused on this season? If you look at the way the roster is constructed right now and you assume Ananobi is not back for a little bit, um, there's a giant, I, I know you don't like, we shouldn't look at rosters as this many point guards, this many shooting guards, this many small forwards. But if you did right now, the backup small forward, which could, you know, depending on how you want to phrase it, be the 10th man is Bruno Caboclo. And I'm very year four of the, of the four year experiment and two mostly full D league seasons under his belt. I'm very curious to see what the plan is. And they've been pretty quiet about it. Um, short of Masai saying he hopes Bruno gets there. Uh, very curious to see if he's a guy that factors into them at all, uh, factors in for them at all. You know, they have, um, Alfonso McKinney on a non-guaranteed deal. Uh, they have Malcolm Miller on a two-way deal. He's hurt too though. Um, and then they have Ananobi coming back, but Caboclo might be their fourth wing to start the year. And it's not, a you know, I'm not definitely not going to say he's going to factor into any of these important lineups, uh, but if an injury were to strike or, or if they need to go deep into the bench one game, very curious to see how quick Casey will be or how hesitant he'll be to, to go to Caboclo. Cause if you're not going to see him for a little bit at the NBA level at this point, you know, the experiment's basically running to running to a close then. Yeah, because he could be a restricted free agent, of course, at the end of this season. I mean, real quickly, you don't want to spend too much time on him, but where is he at this point? I know you watch a ton of 905 games as well. Where is he at right now? Um, I would I would be okay with him defensively at the NBA level right now. Um, he's played mostly power forward with the 905 because he's almost seven feet tall now, and he's done a really good job of putting on size, at least in his upper half. Um, and, and that's not to say that's the most useful. I just haven't you know got a real good look at his lower half um but he's uh he so he's done well putting on size he's gotten a lot smarter in terms of help and recover um in terms of even just straight up man-to-man perimeter defense i'm fairly confident he could be an adequate if not useful uh defensive player as a combo for it at this point he'll have spacey mistakes still because you know his overall playing time and, and experience is still fairly low for a guy at this three years in um but defensively i think i think he could be a useful piece offensively he was still in until the very tail end of last year, a below average offensive G League player, which, you know, he shoots a high volume of threes at like 33, 34, 35%, uh, which is useful, but probably not useful enough for a three and D prospect in the NBA just yet. Um, And then, you know, he still has kind of a a high wide dribble. So if the ball were in his hands and he's asked to put it on the floor, he might be a little turnover prone out of the gate. Um, Obviously hard to extrapolate from the G League to the NBA level. And and he's got a big off season right now. Uh, He's going to be playing with the Brazilian national team in the their at least their tune-ups for the America Cup, so that could be good experience for him. Um, but yeah, right right now I'd be he's probably a defense a defensive prospect only, and then you hope he can knock down his threes. The rest of his offensive game still a work in progress. Yeah, fifty percent true shooting, eighteen percent usage in the D League or, or the G League last year and shot only 33 percent 52 out of 157 from three-point range so yeah I, i'm uh certainly those numbers uh, would uh, back up everything that you're saying there what do you think he are, did, however uh, yeah. sorry in the in yeah. the g league finals um his game two and game three is the 905 one though were like like if you only watched the highlight packages from those two games you would definitely be like oh yeah like like bruno's ready in those two games he looked great obviously it's only two games um the fact that they came at the end of the season is encouraging but he's still kind of in that stage where he's showing flashes they're just not at all consistent 
what are the big questions for this team the big variables in this season that it will deter I mean, obviously there's a relative ban between success or failure for especially a team like this that's been around a while but what are the big questions that are going to determine success or failure for this team this year um i, I think we've touched on some of them and the one yeah. is that you know they're very light on strong individual defenders so uh you know when you lose uh tucker and you lose patterson and you lose what damari carroll was supposed to be uh you know that's a bit that's a big hole there for a team that has claimed despite the their rankings not necessarily back it up that they're a defense first team and they've consistently been a top 10 offense and, and somewhere in the you know 8 to 20 range defensively um it's tough to look at this team and, and project them to get back to the top 10 defensively i, I think they'll probably be in that kind of 12 to 18 range um and whether that's you know then then that's a lot of pressure on their offense to be just as good once again um you look at that side and they're a little light on shooting uh relative to last year but maybe abaca and miles um at, at higher volumes help make up for it so i think the individual defense is the biggest question they're facing and just how they'll go about trying to get more out of the defense than the individual pieces might add up to um and then kind of bigger picture is more just how they're going to define success if this season is about winning 50 games and getting to the second round and figuring out what they need to do for 2018 to maybe take the next step if LeBron leaves Cleveland or the East changes however it may change um, then I think that they can have a successful season if this if the definition of success for them is get back to the Eastern Conference no matter what be a top two team in the East and give Cleveland a good run um, then I don't think that's going to be a successful year for them so it's a lot of it is kind of where you put the goalposts for them and that that from talking to a lot of Raptor fans uh, during the course of the offseason that goalpost seems to be in a lot of different places for a lot of different people so um, you know there's a chance they're they're very successful and very unsuccessful at the same time depending on your outlook um, it, in terms of you know their upside it, the defense and who you know who's guarding LeBron late in the game what they do defensively um, in terms of switching and a closing lineup those are the kind of all the que- all the big questions come on the defensive end yeah you know I mean I could see them maybe being like the 10th best defense and I could see them like down in the 20s frankly with the the talent that they have with some of the young guys they're trying to integrate I think Lowry actually we talked about him where he could fall off I think his defense actually has fallen off quite a bit over the last couple of years where he's not really nearly the bulldog that he was uh defensively um yeah I think just in general too can the young guys grow up faster than the old guys who would basically just be Lowry and Ibaka uh decline and can DeRozan maybe take a step another step forward as well maybe that's another way that but I I mean I think this team they're gonna have to be like really good on offense you if if they're gonna hit the upper end of their range they're gonna have to be like passable on D and then you know still maintain this top five level of offense a a strata that is becoming even I should say stratum uh, that is becoming (laughs) even more difficult to stay in with some of the additions that uh, teams like uh, Houston and Denver have made and of course Golden State and Cleveland will always be up there yeah and you're gonna have to be higher than 22nd in you know three-point rate um, in terms of you know percentage of field goals you take from from the three-point line I think and and how they tweak the offense is going to be interesting to see Um, in terms of key questions too I mean we already talked about it but exactly what Norman Powell is in a 30 minute a game 82 game a season role is going to be like it's not 
it might not take them from, you know, a 45 win team to a 55 win team or, or, you know, the second round to the third round in isolation, but it's, it's going to be a really big swing piece for them in terms of who starts and in terms of how they close and who's dry. He could be the swing piece in a lot of these questions and, you know, how they approach the next season. Um, man, he is, uh, it's all, it's a weird spot too, where the better he is, the more expensive he's going to be. Um, and I don't think he'd sign an extension. So he's, he's, I think that individually the, the most important guy to watch for them and the guy i'm most excited to see how he responds to this bigger role yeah he would be limited right now in an extension to about four years 40 million which probably is not enough for the aspirations that he has all right let's hear it blake uh predicted record official raptors republic sanctioned data point for twitter haters for now and the rest of eternity what do you predict the toronto raptors record will be this season oh boy so i'm gonna get heat for going under last year's win-loss total but i will remind people that on this podcast last year i predicted 51 and 31 which was their actual record um (laughs) i have them i have them for 48 right now and i've gone back and forth between 47 and 48 as i've kind of looked at the the conference and like uh once the schedule came out um i leaned 48 over the 47 when i was flip-flopping just because their schedule is the 28th easiest in terms of uh opponent strength last year and it's they travel the second fewest miles and they have the least travel after the all-star break um, there are some you know schedule factors in their favor i know a three-game slide maybe doesn't seem like enough of a slide when you look at say the rpm projection has them at 43 um, but i think vegas has them at 48 48 and a half um the espn forecast had them at 46 um so i'm i'm at i'm at 48 for them right now um obviously these things have bands and you know we're just we're just predicting for the sake of predicting i i don't know yeah uh, for the record i had 49 for them a year ago and all right so for 48 is your pick yeah i didn't think about this here like what do you think if you just had to guess like what are they going to be in offense and defense to me it feels like you know an average defense and maybe you know the seventh or eighth or ninth best offense like that's kind of what this team feels like to me uh but i think there definitely is a way that the defense could totally fall off a cliff so uh you know i think i'll go with 46 and the biggest reason for that is that the lowry bench units i mean that's what really carried them a lot in the regular season now of course lowry did miss two months but they also had patterson and tucker whom they're not going to have this year and carol who actually you know i know his uh time in toronto was disappointing but i thought he still gave them a kind contribution last year so i think i'll go with 46 uh comfortably two below you again uh, that's <laughs> why i i actually i forgot i resolved to do to my prediction first so to avoid the anchoring of going like one or two gotcha. below what the guest has <laughs> every year but i forgot to do that but yeah i think uh, 46 is probably where i'm going to end up uh, this season uh, what do you think is like the best case scenario in terms of uh, of wins for them um in terms of win total like i could i could see them getting into the the low mid 50s depending on how the east shakes out there are a lot of bad teams in the east um so if you know if lowry and derozan stay healthy and abaca is a, a reasonable version of abaca and the young guys project that you know you know 60 to 70th percentile maybe even a little better uh, of what they project i could see them being in the 53 54 win range just because again the schedule is really easy for them and short of boston cleveland washington milwaukee maybe charlotte you know there aren't going to be that many consistently oh miami i guess i should include in there but there are like eight or nine bad teams in the east um so I, I don't think it's unrealistic to you know that at the high end they could win into the low mid 50s again um the bigger question is i guess whether that would
would mean anything for the playoffs. Um, yeah, and, and that, that's a better question. You think they make the second round? Yeah, I, I would think so. The thing that I'm most encouraged about for the Raptors, and, and you know, I know we can't we can't assume linear development for young guys, uh, especially on mass. Uh, but I, you, I look at this team and the way they're going to be out of the gate, and how young they are, and the fact that they might get guys back a little later in the year, um, that they might have a little bit of flexibility. You know, they'll, they'll enter the season slightly below the tax. They have the Corey Joseph trade exception that they could use to push up to the apron if they need to add a, a middling piece. Um, and then you have all these young guys who could get a little bit better um i think the raptors you know in april will be a better team than the raptors in october which is a little encouraging um and then you know you figure they'll play probably you know i I think if you're if you're an east team you know where you fall in the uh, in the top half of the standings is going to be pretty important because you know you don't want to be in that four or five matchup with milwaukee or whoever that ends up being um but i think they could win a playoff series again and, and you know they they there's a scenario in which maybe they could they could get the two playoff series i don't think that's the most likely path but uh you know if everything kind of breaks right for them uh, but yeah it's going to be very close to a repeat of last year i think in terms of win-loss record and what the playoffs look like um, a little extra vacation time for your boy you know yeah, if I had to predict gun to my head right now, I would say that they will not win a run just because they seem to do worse in the playoffs. But And there are teams like Miami, Milwaukee that I expect to be better this season than they were a year ago. But I also think one of the things that's good about this team, I think they have a pretty high floor because I still like their depth pretty well other than right at the three position as we talked about. But you know, if one of their stars goes down, I think that they are as well positioned to weather that as you know any team outside of maybe you know a a golden state or you know one of these teams that just has like two total superstars um so i I, and they did well when lowry was out last year they've done well when DeRozan has been out before so i think if they struggle with health i don't expect that to affect them quite as much so if i had to pick what their floor is i'd say maybe around 40 wins what would you say yeah i'd probably put it a little higher than like I, i guess i'll I'll say 41 just to I don't know be pedantic I guess you, sure you don't want to go record. too higher than me <laughs> no I'll say 41 like like if Lowry misses significant time I'm I'm high on DeLon Wright but he played like 445 minutes last year and Fred Van Vliet yeah. played under 300 and Fred Van Vliet can really shoot the ball um and and like is a, is a good game manager but if Lowry were to miss 20 games again I'm not sure this team can you know weather that as well as they did last year and you know not to say that Lowry again we we've kind of discussed the context of Lowry's injury that it, you can't really call him injury prone or anything like that uh, but if he were to miss significant time you know I'm not that confident in their ability to to stay afloat during that time he missed yeah uh, all right man well uh, anything else you wanted to talk about here that we didn't get a chance to, to get to there's general observations you have for this upcoming season or things you're really excited about with this team I'm, I'm kind of excited in general for the nba i'm super intrigued to see how teams use these two-way roster spots and looking at the raptors where if they keep 14 guys entering the season uh and punt a 15th man which they haven't done historically they've usually had 15 guys on the roster but you can get 90 
90 NBA days out of your two two-way guys. Um, and considering the 15th man normally doesn't play much at all, um, I'm interested to see, and, and the Raptors also skewed much older than most other teams uh, with the two-way spots. Lorenzo Brown is the most experienced player to get a two-way deal so far. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see how much they, how aggressive they are in using those slots to fortify the NBA team rather than, you know, prop up the 905. Um, I, I know that's like kind of a nerdy, yeah. and it, esoteric and it, yeah, thing it, to keep an eye on. Guys, from a, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just something I'm curious about to see if, if they're going to try to patch those two guys together as a 15th man to avoid adding a 15th and going into the tax. Well, the other thing too is if you, especially later in the season, I'm not sure exactly where they are with regard to the tax line right now, but if they, uh, and maybe they could try to cut salary as well, but at the end of the year, especially if you get past that 45 days, you could always just convert the guy into a minimum contract yeah. towards the end of the year as well. If he, if he really is helping you at all, which, you know, is, is, that's obviously dubious for some of these two way guys. Uh, well, any, give us, uh, all the plugs that you want to before you go. I really appreciate you coming on of course and i think this is uh this is your third year in a row doing this so you're uh in uh royal company there is the, the uh for doing three straight uh dunked on raptors previews now i think each year you've come on raptors republic closer to the season as well right yeah so i think so i was again. trying to remember actually before we started the last time when i remember two years ago they played a preseason game in san jose and i had like an hour drive back so i went right. on a, a podcast like when i was in the car and then i you know i don't know if i did it last year actually uh but but if I didn't, it's because you forgot to ask me. So because I'm definitely <laughs> available whenever you need me. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'll definitely have you uh, have you on sometime. Uh, I don't know, September, October, as the season gears up. Um, but yeah, otherwise, not much to plug. Raptors Republic um, on Twitter at Blake Murphy ODC, and most of my stuff is at Raptors Republic. A uh, little bit at the Athletic or Vice. Um, but yeah, Nate, man, thanks so much for having me on. Hey, well, thank you, and uh, looking forward to uh, talking more uh, during the season. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Jeff McDonald of the San Antonio express news to talk about the san antonio spurs stay tuned before we move on to jeff though i want to tell you about my favorite watch company movement mvmt.com slash cap space is the url to get 15 percent off their beautifully minimalist styled watches which even without the 15 percent start at just 95 dollars. i had never really been a watch guy i just looked at my phone to tell the time and part of that was because watches that I liked were $400, $500, and it really didn't seem worth it for me. I can just tell the time by looking at my phone. Of course, every once in a while, it would look pretty inconsiderate when I did that, but you can look at your watch a little bit more surreptitiously. That's the practical angle on this, which of course will always give you on Dunked On. But even more important is just these watches look great. Classic design, quality, construction, styled minimalism, and that's led to over 1 million watches being sold in over 160 countries. So if you're an international listener, great way to support the show. Step up your watch game and see why people across the world love movement watches. The way to get started with them, mvmt.com slash catspace gets you 15% off today. Free shipping, free returns. That's mvmt.com, movement.com slash capspace. That URL is easy to remember because we talk about capspace all the time on the program and it lets them know that you came from us. mvmt.com slash capspace. Join the movement. 
All right, continuing our season outlook series now on the Dunked On Basketball NBA podcast with the San Antonio Spurs. I am joined by a first-time guest who I've wanted to have on for quite some time, probably the number one guy in Spurs land, Jeff McDonald. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm good. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, and a pleasure to have you on. So we like to get right into it here on these previews, and this is a team that's bringing back largely the same cast from last year. And I think this is a very interesting question with this team especially in light of what happened with Kawhi Leonard going down in game one of the conference semifinal or I'm sorry the conference finals how good were these guys last year in your opinion were they actually a threat to take down the Warriors as they were constituted I mean I wouldn't have you know if you had to bet your life on one team or the other you still bet on the Warriors but you like their chances to make that a series if everybody stays healthy and I know the Spurs themselves the coaching staff management really thought they had a bet they thought they had a better chance to take down the Warriors than maybe a lot of fans did and I think if you remember um you know most people listening to this will remember the big you know the Greg Popovich kind of uh rant after the Zsa Pachulia uh uh foul on on the not Kawhi out of the out of the um the the series you know the next day Pop just went off at, at media and the, the kind of the underrated part of that rant was that that you heard in there that Pop thought you know nobody thought we had a chance and here we were off up 25 and we you know we had we had the Warriors on the ropes and then this happens but but lost in that is they really thought they had a chance so I think you're looking at a um you know if, if you're looking at it from the Spurs uh, Spurs perspective this is a 61 win team from last year that was in their minds good enough to compete with the Warriors and they're they're bringing it back so I think there's a lot of there's a lot of questions in kind of Spurs fandom with this offseason and we'll probably talk about this later you know about they didn't sure. do much and how did they how did they how are they going to catch the Warriors they didn't they didn't do a whole lot and blah 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 I think the Spurs would have liked to have added like a Chris Paul but I, I don't think they ever thought that running back largely the same team was a bad fallback option yeah you know that's interesting to me they obviously were up by 20 when Leonard went down my opinion I still think it probably would have been maybe a six game series I, I thought that that's fair the Warriors the Warriors generally have outplayed them when you know in games that really matter I thought that the game that Kevin Durant missed where Golden State went on the road and came back from that 20 point deficit was pretty telling I, I never felt like the Spurs have had any kind of an answer for Stephen Curry uh with the, especially because he's just such a bad matchup for a lot of the bigs that they have and, and in that first game you may see it different I wanted to ask you I mean we're obviously dealing with very small sample sizes here one you know 30 minutes of these teams playing in the playoffs at full strength in this modern era where both these teams have been good Kawhi Leonard has been this good I thought that that game was a little bit fluky especially in the third quarter when it seemed like Golden State was roaring back I think they got within 12 and then the Spurs hit like some crazy shots uh or off of like loose balls like contested threes and, and stuff like that I felt like that wasn't indicative of necessarily how the series was going to go, but it seems like the Spurs feel differently. Do you agree with them? Um, yeah, that's a hard question to answer. I mean, the, look, the Warriors are the better team. I mean, if they're both, if both teams are are full strength, the Warriors are the better team, and the better team usually wins a series. So it's it's really hard to say. Yes, the Spurs would have won that series even with Kawhi Leonard, but I think it would have been a heck of a lot more interesting um, had he been able. I mean, that's not breaking news, but had the, you know 
are maybe the best player in the game been healthy for the entire series the Spurs might have had a better chance is not really a, a breaking news headline but I, I think it would have been a lot more interesting because everything the Spurs did all year long was predicated around Kawhi Leonard being awesome and once Kawhi Leonard's not there it's like they just had a bunch of dudes like they just had a bunch of bunch of role players even you know people a lot of the Spurs fans are like really mad at LaMarcus Aldridge for not just like stepping up oh, yeah. and power I, and I always thought that was ridiculous yeah that was ridiculous know, we talked just, about that when we were hanging out during the, the yeah. conference finals yeah just he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna single-handedly just slay all these triple teams and and take down the greatest defense you know in basketball right now like that that's just not gonna happen he's and we could talk about all that later i mean but he's he's not a number one and maybe he never was but he's not anymore he's a very good number two but he's not the guy that's going to quote unquote step up against golden state when he's just dealing with when he's the only guy there that, that can really do anything yeah and that matchup against Draymond green is one that he traditionally has struggled with as well and Pachulia, another guy who can really make him work to get to spots when they guard in that way um so this team during the regular season the number one defense uh, i i didn't expect that last year i, I don't think a lot of people did with the addition of Pau gasol and david lee and uh 61 games as you mentioned uh they played at a very slow pace uh, 27th in the NBA and we're ninth in offense although uh, this is a team that really has gone counter in the last two years to some of the big trends that we've seen by focusing more in the mid-range yeah that, I mean they've, they've that has been interesting too that's that's almost that's a huge part of Kawhi's game obviously and when they got LaMarcus he was kind of the mid-range king of the league um, not last year but the year before they had David West who was the same kind of thing and Powell's really a mid-range guy a lot of the times now too so yeah they're very counter to what everything uh, the whole the way the whole league is going um or at least they were last year and it'll be interesting to see how that adjusts have they you know if, if you look at their roster going forward and who they brought back and who they have not brought back they're really light on the bigs so to me are they going to have they sort of given up on that twin towers approach um are they not going to do it as much is Kawhi going to play four a lot are they going to do go small with Kawhi and, and Rudy Gay playing together I mean there's a lot of question marks about this roster um and, and it just makes me wonder have they just decided this twin twin big guys lots of mid-range stuff uh you know have they kind of have they kind of accepted that the game has just completely overrun that 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 style of play or do they do they still think they can zig while everyone else zags and kind of take advantage of that market inefficiency and still win that way i mean i don't know the answer to that i don't know what they think but that'll be interesting to see what they think as the series as the uh, season goes along you know, I think they absolutely can win that way. And Ben Falk, a writer I really respect, has talked about how playing with two bigs actually works better for most teams defensively. Two traditional bigs. It's just on offense, you don't have as much spacing or or skill. But that the Spurs, they have enough individual guys that they've been able to make that work. Or they've got bigs who at least can shoot the mid-ranger and that you have to guard. But the problem is that I don't think that that works against Golden State. And I think we've really, there's kind of this dichotomy and maybe Houston will fall into this category as well maybe Cleveland is at this point as well but teams that are just so turbocharged offensively that you just need more mobility more switchability on the perimeter or you just you're going to give up a million threes to these teams or or you're going to give up a lot of shots at the rim and so there's now this dichotomy to me more so than ever before of what it takes to compete against the absolute three four five best teams in the league and what it takes to be good in the regular season I think the Spurs philosophy is proven to work extremely well in the regular season and I expect them to be a regular season juggernaut again but 
perhaps not. You know, they lost to to OKC the, the year before. Maybe didn't have quite as much athleticism. And, and then obviously, you know, we're overmatched against Golden State last year, even though, you know, they did look better with Kawhi. I still think that they would have really struggled in that series after, uh, you know, that first half of game one. Right. The way the way the Spurs played to win 61 games in the regular season is not the way you play to be Golden State. And what kind of adjustments would they have made? We have no idea because, <laughs> you know, basically that series was over after a half. So we have no idea what they would have tried, what they would not have tried. Yeah. I mean, we, we just it's almost kind of a, the big uh, disappointment of last season is you finally got these two teams together in a conference final. And one of them is just too it's just too hurt to even, you know, show their hand. Yeah, well, I do think Spurs fans would probably rightly push back at me a little bit because we thought that Houston would be one of these teams yeah. that they couldn't match up with with that traditional style. And of course, they were extremely successful with that in that series, but forcing them off the three point line, trying to make them finish over length. I mean, with Houston's two point shooting and, and they're shooting at the rim, I mean, especially in that game six was like some of the worst that we've ever seen in high level basketball. So mm-hmm. they obviously were very effective with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a big question. I've been critical of Pop being unwilling to play quiet the four. They've brought in Rudy Gay now. Uh, do you think that that we are going to see that finally more in the regular season? Because to me, I think you know, he finally went to that more against Houston and probably would have against Golden State. But I feel like you need actual practice playing that way to be mm-hmm. really good at it. I mean, it feels like something they try right for a while. At least I would. I'm yeah. not pop. But, you know, if I if I was pop, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. But um, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, it seems like something they would try because to me, that's that's. You know, assuming assuming Rudy can come back from that pretty horrific injury and be and be you know a high percentage of what he was, that's that's two pretty um, high level scores to get on the floor. And if you have Lamarcus out there as well as at the at the five, that's a lot of guys who can put the ball in the hole that another team has to guard. Yeah, and it really seems like if if Gay is going to be good, they will play that way more, right? Because right. It, he'll be one of their five best players. Danny Green is one of their five best players. Although Pop traditionally, I think, has has given him less respect than maybe you know NBA. Uh, self-appointed experts like me have uh but with with Danny Green and Gay and Leonard I mean none of those guys is a point guard so you probably have another point guard out there so now you and then you're probably gonna play Aldridge at center or, or maybe Powell if if uh they're not liking Aldridge that game so yeah I mean you'd have to think so but so much depends on the health of Rudy Gay what do you have, have we had any updates on where he's at right now I, I talked to him right about the time he signed um and you know you're not going to get a negative report from a player in that situation sure but it, it sounds like he is on track he's been on the floor um you know before he signed with the spurs even just on the floor doing basketball stuff so it seems like he's on the on track to be ready for training camp to be able to um you know participate in that participate in the preseason be ready for the start of the season how good will he be at the start of the season how what kind of shape will he be in what kind of rhythm will he be in you know after not playing since uh whenever it was march january whenever he got the the, the injury the achilles injury um all those are yeah, questions was, uh, to be answered. Uh, january it was like mid-january actually i think right. yeah, i'm looking at an article from january 19th about it now so yeah it's uh, and that's actually long like we've seen west matthews Kobe Bryant have been the two guys who suffered torn Achilles late in the year. Both of those guys came back relatively quickly at the start of the season, although Kobe then immediately re-injured himself. Wes, uh, because he's just a psycho, managed to, to make it through. Not that Kobe <laughs> isn't one. but So that'll, that'll give Gay a little bit more time, really, uh, almost 10 full months 
from the injury to where maybe you can start and i also just i have so much respect and faith in this spurs medical staff that i think they can whatever can be gotten out of him i, I think they'll be able to get it i think he's going to be really good for for a mid-level guy is what i think i think he's going to be worth the, he's going to be worth the bang for the buck is he going to be an all-star no is he going to significantly close the gap with golden state probably not but i think you're going to get uh you're going to get your money's worth out of rudy gay i think and you know the thing is he's, it's it's, it's a two-year deal He'll probably play really well and opt out and and get paid again next next year. But it was a it, it's a I think it's an, it's kind of a low risk for what they're paying for him. Yeah, and I, I think just in terms of uh, the biggest question for me is where he'll be defensively. I think he's a guy who has oh, some sure. length, can can move sure. his feet. But uh, coming back from the injury as well, where is he going to be? And then, but Pop again, uh, this is the type of guy maybe who hasn't defended in the past as well. But they can get a little bit more out of him. And but whether he'll have like the ability to really switch on to some of the smallest players that'll be a big question mark for me also yeah i mean defensively is it, we've, we've never seen rudy just be a you know a great defensive player um and we'll just have to see a lot of times when guys are in different situations you see different things out of them you know when, when rudy's got to be the leading scorer on whatever more abundant team he's on maybe you don't get his best effort at the defensive end with the spurs with greg popovich with him being a third fourth fifth option whatever you want to call him offensively maybe he finds that so you know we saw david lee last year was n- not the train wreck train wreck on defense that i think I a lot of people thought he would shocked. be you know you know <laughs> so i think i think uh, once once you turn into a role player sometimes you can find yourself doing more than you did when you were a star yeah especially if you start to feel a little bit of your career mortality exactly. as well the other two main guys really that they brought in uh brandon paul and joffrey laverne do you see those guys playing much this year or do you think they'll be kind of on the fringes except when they rust guys yeah i never know what to think with guys the spurs bring in you know like one year they signed this guy out of summer league named gary neal i'm like this guy's who's this guy he's like he's just playing who's gonna and he ended up being like a really huge part of a of, of uh, a lot of uh good spurs teams i mean his gary neal's rookie year he's hitting a they're, caught, they're running a play for him at the buzzer of game five against Memphis to save their season. Like, they got to get a hit of three to go to overtime to save their season, and they're running it for rookie Gary Neal, which, is, which was, was a guy I had not heard of 12 months before. So when you hear a guy like Brandon Paul, um, you think if, it, you hate to be like you hate to be like this sometimes, but you think if, like, the Spurs see in him, there's got to be something there. The Spurs see something in him, there's got to be something there. And it's it's you think about a guy like Gary, Gary Neal is a guy like that, or, you know, Jonathan Simmons. Nobody had ever heard of Jonathan Simmons at this time two years ago. I mean, he was a guy that sure. bounced around the D-League. Um, so I think you look at Brandon Paul as that kind of guy, a guy that that we don't know what he is. We don't know what he's got. He hasn't proven anything at the NBA level. He was undrafted, um, but we got him cheap, and and maybe he's the next diamond in the rough. And if he's not, you know, you got him cheap, and you didn't, you didn't spend much money on him. I know very little about Joffrey Laverne. He's not a guy that's really been on my radar a lot, except for I would always make Laverne and Shirley jokes whenever he'd come to town. That's all I know knew about him at the at the uh when he was on other teams but again he's well i'm sure your twitter followers won't find uh, your twitter followers won't find that uh that gets old over the course of of 82 (laughs) games everyone on twitter is hoping he doesn't play that much it's gonna be an it's gonna be an 82 game jokeathon about paul shirley and (laughs) jeffrey laverne but yeah i don't all i know is they're short on bigs they didn't resign Dwayne deadman um you know they didn't resign david lee they don't have just the same uh number of bigs in their arsenal this year so either they're going to play small a lot or Joffrey Laverne's going to have to give them something, I think. I mean, I, you know, that's, you know, and your other bigs are LaMarcus Aldridge and, and you know, 30, what, a 38-year-old Pal Gasol. Like, Pal's not going to be available 82 games a year. So the, 
there's it feels like Joffrey Laverne is going to have to be able to play for you on some nights uh, in order to you know you know win 61 games again. Yeah, and I mean if they can get something out of David Lee defensively, maybe they can get something out of out of Joffrey because that's been his major limitation that I've seen so far. And it is interesting you talk about how all right the Spurs if they see someone they he they got he's got to be good every time whoever they dress like oh man I can't believe the Spurs got this guy like he's such a Spurs pick but we are maybe guilty of forgetting all of the ones that they missed on I, I mean not they they have a better they hit more right. than than everybody else does but they still miss a few times you know Kyle Anderson everyone thought he was gonna be really good and he's been on the fringes of the rotation but you know hasn't been someone that I think has been like a quality player against the best team so they, they definitely strike out on a, you know Livio John Charles and uh, Nikola Milatina. We haven't seen those guys at all. They're partially drafted for their stash ability, but uh, they do strike out on those sometimes. But then uh, Davis Bertans is another guy too, uh, who I think uh, has really has a chance to be a part of, of the rotation. Um, who do you think on this team can be better than they were last year? Better than I think Davis is a good is a good example of that. I think he's a guy that's kind of in a, in a way built for this NBA. I mean, he's not going to be a star in this NBA, but he's built. For for you know he's a big guy who can move uh and can shoot the three with like i mean like i i i you know he shot 40 percent last year and i think he can be even better than that I, I, he's sort of like um he's sort of like a matt bonner who can move around a little bit i mean who can who can uh yeah. you know he's not a, i'm not gonna say he's a lockdown defender but he can move around the perimeter a little bit he's got a little athleticism to him uh there were a couple times last year where, where he'd get in a seam and all of a sudden there's just this dunk you know like i didn't think he had that in him and then you, you kind of talk to some of the players and they tell you no actually if you get here before the game and come sit courtside he's the guy we all watch dunk in the layup line because he's got the best dunk but you know between him and john simmons so you know I, I think he's a guy that last year was a lot of just learning the ropes for him and just learning what it means to be in the nba and learning the league and and other players i think he's a guy that has a chance to be a really important role player for him this year um and another guy that i think we need to really talk a lot about is Dejounte murray because the spurs have no point guard i mean they're they're, they're mainstay stalwart longtime yeah. point guard basically can barely walk right now um tony parker coming off that quadriceps tear he is walking around i'm exaggerating a little bit um but they're like they're not expecting he's not expecting to be back until like january and even that there's some people that tell me that even that might be optimistic and even when tony does come back um the chances of him being tony parker that we all know and love and remember are pretty slim i mean yeah so the and Spurs that's the one no from last guard. year that's the yeah. one from last year too i mean yeah. and, and, who, yeah. who already really I think was a liability although he did have an excellent series against Memphis I, I didn't think that was really sustainable he's just hitting a lot of contested long twos and so yeah I mean I, I think they it would be foolish of them to count on getting anything from Parker this year but if you're not doing that then you you better count on getting something from DeJounte Murray and I I thought his summer league was uh kind of depressing frankly I mean it's summer league is summer it was league, a weird but it, it, was, it was a weird summer yeah. league it, I, he didn't play well in the limited action that they played him and then they just sort of pulled the plug on him and i never really got a um good answer as to why he they just stopped stopped suiting him up in summer league and it wasn't like it wasn't just you know he's terrible and we don't think he's any good it, it was it was just i don't know i don't know if it's a mental break what they said was you know it's a long yeah. summer for him we need him to be healthy uh we don't want to beat him up in las vegas which is fine but i would have liked to see him play really well but if you, you go back to his season the times when he did 
really get an opportunity to DeJounte Murray? His rookie season as a 20-year-old running the Spurs, he was okay. He was okay. He held, he held his own. He didn't look he didn't look frightened. He did get that one start in Houston right after Tony got hurt, and I thought Patrick Beverly kind of gave him his lunch a little bit to start. Yep. But then I think he got his legs under him, and he looked like he belonged. And I think there's just such a skill set there that I think if they can harness it and develop it, in a perfect world, DeJounte Murray is still your point guard of the future. He's not a guy that's starting for you at age 21 next year, but he might have to if they don't want to start Patty Mills. And if they do, he's going to have to be really good. And I think he's got he's got yeah. the tools, the physical tools. Um, you, you look at him defensively, his length. I mean, if you stacked it up next to Kawhi and Danny Green, that's really a long, you know, perimeter defending. And there's some guys uh, just within the organization that really think DeJounte Murray is going to be really good. I heard one guy who is prone to exaggeration uh, say that they think DeJounte has the uh, potential to be the greatest point guard in Spurs history. Now, you really only have to beat out one guy to, to, yeah. to do that. But that guy's going to the Hall of Fame. So to me, that was that's a that's sort of a, a, a sort of setting the bar really high. But it's kind of indicative of what some people in the organization believe is his upside eventually. But again, like I said earlier, in a perfect world, you're not talking about him being your starting point guard at age 21 next season. You're talking about this, you know, three years down the road, two years down the road. But it, they may not have a choice depending on how, how quickly Tony can get back because they didn't sign any other point guards really it's 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 DeJounte and a bunch of combo guards including Patty Mills yeah and you really think they're going to start him rather than Patty Mills I don't know that's a that's an excellent question and I don't know the answer I I I know I know Pop usually prefers to keep Patty running with that second unit and will and will do whatever he can to keep that second unit intact but it's different when you're talking about like a like five months four months five months instead of just a game or to you know a guy sprained an ankle and you need a starter we'll pull up our third third guy and let him start um i don't know i it i it really yeah, might it, depend I mean, on his, what, his fit is tough man like with the, yeah. with his complete inability to shoot from the outside yeah, you're playing yeah. him with Kawhi yeah, is, yeah. and lamarcus is a tough fit i mean it's just an automatic double i mean we thought if we thought it was bad with parker on the floor last year which it kind of was yeah he's, uh, it really gets ugly with uh with Dejounte. they're gonna have to develop him and that's absolutely true and and you know a lot's going to depend on his I was going to say his summer uh the summer the parts we've seen publicly of DeJounte Murray's summer were not that great um we don't know what's going on behind the scenes we'll see what training camp looks like um we'll see what the start of the season looks like I think they would love they would love to I think I mean I think they would love this alternate universe where Tony Parker never got hurt and he can be their starting point guard for one more year failing that they would love for DeJounte Murray to be good enough to be that starting point guard to start the season will he be I don't know I don't know that I don't know that but I think he's a guy that's very interesting to look at because they're very high on him not just for the season to come but but for years down the road they see him as part of their core yeah the most depressing part to me about his summer league was that he only took three three point attempts in four games so it really shows that he does not have the confidence yet in that shot anyone else you think of that that could be better uh, from a year ago what about Kawhi Leonard better, yeah I mean I, like every year you think this is the best we're going to see of Kawhi Leonard I mean this is he's great like what else can he add what else can he do every year he finds something to add and something to do and I I think if you're looking for where where's Kawhi going to get better um when he starts to see these double teams when they run him through the post and he's seeing double teams how does he handle those um because that's really yeah. one area that, how does he think the game that's one the one area of the game where I thought he, you know he showed room for improvement last season as he became really the focal point really the last two seasons as he became really the focal point of everybody's defense and occasionally we're going to throw multiple bodies at you and um you know how are you going to deal with that you know they, they've been for years for a couple years now showing him video of like Charles Barkley what did Chuck do uh 
uh, in the post when he was getting double teams, and, and where did the pass go, and and how did he? That's how did that's an interesting did, comparison yeah. right there. That is a how, very interesting comparison. How how did he know? You know, when did he get rid of the ball? When did he keep the ball? How did he kind of uh, you, you know keep the defense off balance? Maybe feign the pass and keep it. You know, how all those different things, and that's really the area. If Kawhi's going to improve anymore, that's oh, that's really the only area I see because you know at first he was a terrible three point shooter, and then all of a sudden he's one of the best three point shooters in the league. Um, he's always been a great defender. Um, he's gotten so good off the dribble, so good off the post. He's really been a fascinating case study, and I kind of wrote a series on this, uh, me and my former colleague Dan McCarney a couple summers ago, on the development of Kawhi Leonard and just watching him from when he got here. And it was really, a, the story was really not on Kawhi, but on the development staff and the things they did to add to his game piece by piece. And it was just, I would I would tell you three, four years ago, you'd go into practice, like you'd get in the last 10 minutes of practice and just see that. And so you'd see Kawhi, well, he's on the post and he's doing this rock back baseline jumper and it's going on every time he's working with you know the coaches we're like we've never seen that before what is that and then sure enough you know a month later you know he doing it a game he'd be like that's the thing from practice we saw we saw him working on that so it was interesting to watch him add moves in practice at the end of you know the, you know when the when the regular practice session was over just working extra with coaches to see him add this move that move and then to see it kind of migrate its way to his game and so that was really early on and then all of a sudden he's hitting three pointers and all of a sudden he's doing stuff off the dribble we didn't know he could do uh and and uh you know so now i think the next step is that you know what do you do without the ball or when you have to give up the ball or maybe you don't you know the double team stuff what do you do with that and i think that's yeah. really the only area we're looking at where Kawhi leonard needs to make a leap and he'll probably do it yeah, and if i you think just, if you just based on every everything yeah. you know about him well it's tough too for him because they don't play with that space of a floor either yeah. so and a lot of the way he works is he'll create the advantage on his man create space but he's not just like blowing by guys to where all right you're gonna force emergency help and now he, he's got the opening but i agree he could get better there only 3.8 assists per 36 minutes for a guy with his usage rate which was 31 percent. that's definitely one of the lowers that you'll see among perimeter players in terms of assist rates I, I think he could get better there and he probably will have to because they they have lost even you know they're really the only other guy who can do much off the dribble from the perimeter maybe we'll see more of rudy gay working that way as well but gay also uh not exactly a renowned passer either right. what about uh what about regression candidates on this team i think lamarcus aldridge you know just given the effects of age is someone who who might fall into that category yeah this is going to be a really interesting season for lamarcus because again i think he he's an interesting he's hard for me to talk about because he has not been especially last year was not as good as you thought he was going to be when the spurs signed him but also not as terrible as everyone else seems to think he is like he's not a bad basketball player by any means i don't think i i still think he gives you something you know he was a 17 and 8 guy last year which is not which is not peak lamarcus but still that there's like there's like 10 bigs in the league that gave you 17 and 8 and he was one of them you know you're not going out and just finding another 17 and 8 guy to play center for you on the open market really so i i i think the i think he, he could go one of two ways this year i think there's the age issue and 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 does he regress further from here or does he you know this is a de facto contract here for him you know and you you know they kind of tried to trade him a little bit and um you know he can opt out after after next season does he take that as kind of a motivation to either you know show everybody what he's got or put himself in a position to cash in for another contract 
contract. I mean, does does he does he play? Does he take it up a notch this year? Does he play with a little more? I don't know whatever you want to call it. But I think he could go one of two ways, and I think in large part the Spurs season will sort of be uh, dependent on which way Lamarcus goes. I mean, if he's if he's the same Lamarcus as last year or better, they have a really good chance to be the same team as last year or better. If he's, I mean, if he doesn't play close to your highest paid player, then I, you're really going to struggle because I don't know who else is going to play there. Uh, if you want, you know, yeah. go ahead. Uh, yeah. Well, so so what I want to ask about him, there, there have been in Portland, there are reports you, you'd hear just all right, you know, he's just kind of prickly to deal with. He he came to San Antonio. You mentioned that they uh, maybe have made some efforts to try and move him that haven't come to fruition. Greg Popovich had some pretty pointedly critical comments about him during the Western Conference Finals. And then there's been some rumors that he kind of wants out of San Antonio. I mean, have you sensed that at all, being around the team on a day-to-day basis? Honestly, not really. And they're not a team, I mean, first off, they're not a team that's going to, you know, take their dirty laundry out to the street anyway. But, sure. you know, we've, I've talked, we've talked to LaMarcus about this, both kind of, you know, in a in a group setting and, and one-on-one. And he always says the right things. I mean, I guess, I guess. Sure. I guess you're not expecting him to say, you know, I hate it, screw it, we're out of here. But, he, you know, he says the right things about, you know, this, I didn't come here to be the number one guy. I didn't come here. Like, if I, if I wanted to be the leading scorer on a team and to have everything run through me, I had that in Portland. I could have stayed there. I could have gone somewhere else where that was going to be me. I came here to be part of, you know, the Spurs system. So he says the right things. Um, but the, the Spurs did try to trade him for draft for, you know, for a top 10 pick during the draft. I think a lot of that might have been um, not just, not just to, just, not just to move LaMarcus, but to create space i mean i think you, you really at that point you were still going into a uh, a summer where you thought they they thought they had a pretty good chance to at least talk to chris paul and and so and you're going to have to make do some things to make some space so i think i think it was kind of a, a double-edged sword there with dangling lamarcus but it never it didn't come to fruition anyway i mean if they wanted to trade him for nothing they could have traded him for nothing so obviously there's some sort sure. of value there that, that they, they want to stick to yeah um, they, they need him he's a good player for sure yeah so my my, my question this year and a, a big story around the spurs this year will be what Marcus do you get because even if he does want out probably the best way to 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 get out and to get into a situation where he would prefer if that's what he wants would be to play really really well this year and go sign with whoever you know whoever he wants to next year that's the best way to do it because if he if he doesn't play well he's due 22.3 million next year I mean it wouldn't make financial sense for him to leave even if he wanted to if he doesn't play well right 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 so it's almost this it's almost this uh I don't know if the word is catch 22 but it's like if he if he doesn't play as well as you would like you're almost stuck with him another year regardless you know you, you you get you get that LaMarcus again so I think it it's really in everybody's best interest the Spurs and LaMarcus for him to come out and have a kick-ass year this is a little bit far afield from a, a season preview but si- since you're down there I want to get your take on this I know you've talked about this a lot on Twitter they re-signed Pau Gasol this year to be a three-year 48 million dollar deal uh the I think seven million guaranteed in the last year he, he had a player option for 60 million that he opted out of to give them more flexibility uh did you just as question one of this inquiry did you get the impression that that was kind of hey we we, if we're going to get him to opt out here and maybe take less if we get our guy that we have to just the way to do that is we have to kind of at least imply that we're going to give him this pretty lucrative contract with a lot more money than he could have made i I think that's absolutely how it went down i mean absolutely what what, i don't think anyone really expected pal gasol to opt out when we when, when us lowly scribes and podcasters and bloggers and we're, we're <laughs> you know looking at the spurs offseason what hey, they could don't, do don't, don't like don't let pop get to you we're we're, <laughs> we're not lowly you can't you, you can't you can't let you can't let his uh, his opinion influence our, our self-worth here when we were trying to do a, when we were tr- 
trying to do all that all that math going to the offseason like what can the Spurs really do it was always like I never I never it was always with Powell's number on the books like I no no one I really talked to thought he was going to opt out because it didn't make sense for him to opt out and, and it, just the market didn't like he wasn't going to get that on the open market um, and so I think you had to really give him some incentive to basically you know give up 16 million dollars he, he's he's not going to see again unless you give it unless you give it to him so you have to give him some incentive and, and I think Powell's thinking is if I if I opt out of this and we get let's say Chris Paul and I get four million dollars I'm good with that like I'm good with being on a team that is now improved and added Chris Paul if we don't end up using that space and you can give me my money back and and you know plus interest um you know then that that's that's an incentive yeah. for me to yeah. for me to it's, opt out and give you this it's chance. a lot of interest oh yeah, yeah. but where, where are the where are the, yeah, where are this the... Is a, we're in like a, an inflationary like late <laughs> 70s economy here <laughs> apparently <Yeah>. where, the, <laughs> where the plan you know where the plan went haywire if you want to call it that is they didn't you know they didn't get anybody they didn't end up using the space yeah. and you know they you know chris paul got traded before even hitting the open market and and um you know other guys went elsewhere and they they're not a team that's just gonna well we have space so let's just blow it on you know our fifth choice um they're not a team that's going to do that so i think once it became clear you know we're not using that space we still have bird rights on pow we still have bird rights on some of these other guys let's bring back who we want to bring back and pow got you know he got a bonus for being a good soldier and giving them a shot and it didn't work out and i think the important point to make is yes it does affect affect their books next summer i mean that's what everyone's looking at that, that's kind of the, the plan the spurs are going to try to get a chris paul type this summer doesn't work out we're going to bring that we're going to do whatever we can to keep our books clean for next summer where we just naturally have a lot of guys coming off and a lot of space um assuming lamarcus opts out um so i think uh pal's pal's deal it affects that some but i don't think it really throws a giant monkey wrench i mean if you like i've been telling people if lebron james wants to come to the spurs next year pal gasol's uh, contract is not going to be the reason why he doesn't like it will work out i promise if so if someone like lebron wants to play for the spurs they will work it out so I, i'm not really worried about a lot of people on twitter have gotten back and been like like yeah but it screws up the cap next summer too I'm like not really there's there's ways to get out of it there's ways to wave and stretch it um if, if you if you get to that point you can probably trade that contract and if you need to like the spurs when they they haven't often used space needed space but every time they needed space they've been able to trade for it pretty easily like it's, it's so it's i don't think the, that gasol contract is as onerous I mean, it's it's a lot of money for for pal gasol at 38 but i don't think it affects what you want to do very much yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely think it's pretty clear that that's going to be a pretty tough contract for them, especially when you consider that Gasol, you know, I, I think, is pretty close to being useless against some of their their chief rivals, Golden State in particular. Though Powell had a, a really a very nice defensive series against Houston because he was able to just kind of hang out at the rim, and they did a great job creating that. Uh, you know, to me, the big issue was I thought not even necessarily just to, all right, we're going to add one star to this team. I thought they had the ability to just completely remake their team in 2018 and now having added another 28 million with Mills and with Gasol that's going to be a lot more difficult but maybe you know maybe part of it too is they felt like hey maybe like Danny Green might opt in maybe LaMarcus will opt in there's like there could with the market being as tight as it is like those Green I think could get more but maybe you know he took less last time to stay in San Antonio maybe he'll feel the same way here um 
maybe gay will opt in especially if he doesn't have a, the greatest season so it's really uh maybe they felt like with the chances of that eh, you know it's not the end of the world if we lock in for another year with Powell the biggest thing that I was critical of was did you really need to guarantee seven million <laughs> of that 2019-20 salary I mean that was that seemed uh you know pr- pretty remarkable again maybe they can get off that if they really if they really need to I think you're you're right about that but it, it's uh the environment is becoming harder and harder to do that so I was just I was hopeful that they could kind of treat this year maybe as like all right you know what like we'll just patch it together we got Kawhi, we got danny green still we've got lamarcus and then you know we'll still win 55 games just because we have those three guys we're probably not gonna beat the warriors anyway and then in 2018 maybe we could even bring in like two huge free agents and completely remake the squad and now i don't know that that's an option for them maybe until 2019 and even then they uh only project to have about 40 million in cap space in 2019 and that's also then one more year before Kawhi becomes a, a free agent again and, and would have to get a pretty significant race. But I, I took us far afield here. Uh, who do you think is going to be the crunch time lineup for this team? Crunch time lineup. Um, well, you know, Kawhi is going to be in there. Um, for sure. Man, the rest is really up for grabs. We were kind of talking about it earlier. Yeah. I mean, I mean, is Rudy Gay one of your five best players? If he is, he's probably in there. Um, <sighs> LaMarcus has got to be in there. LaMarcus, is probably, LaMarcus the time, has probably right? got to be in there a lot of the time um uh you know something between danny green or Manu ginobili depending on what you're getting out of Manu at at that particular point of the season that particular point of a game um as you mentioned earlier danny can find himself in and out of lineups like that um at kind of the whims of pop um point guard is going to be the question and and probably they'll go with experience over that i mean that would be patty i wouldn't be surprised i mean pop pop can pop is he can do a lot of weird things i wouldn't be surprised if Manu is basically your point guard at during some crunch time lineups i wouldn't be surprised I, I you know I, I have a question can can Kawhi kind of be your primary ball handler if you're just running pick and rolls with him anyway you know what I mean can you can yeah. can he you know maybe you don't label him the point guard but is he the guy running the show but uh, there's going to be a lot of mixing matches matching with that with that uh, crunch time lineup because I I don't I don't know that they have five guys where you say these are the best five you know I think I think in, yeah. in different um different scenarios is a different it's a different five yeah and maybe uh, Gasol and Aldridge could still uh, especially against more traditional teams mm-hmm. be in there mm-hmm. but yeah I, I like like you said i think much depends on where gay is and, and how much he's really able to contribute especially defensively uh, and whether he's hitting the outside shot as well i think is going to matter because they're going to have to get a, a fair amount of shooting on the floor this is a team that has kind of struggled for that as well and maybe bertans will play more this year I, I hope that he does i think that he uh danny likes to call him uh lat bonner since, since he's Latvian, <laughs> which i really which i really enjoy but I think he could be a better player than Bonner. He's got a, a quicker release, more athleticism, as you said, and I think is every bit the, the shooter. So I, I hope that he gets more time, even if he's not, you know, like well, quite as switchable as you might like. He's still like a, a great guy spreading the floor. When he was drafted, they called him the Latvian Kevin Durant. So I think that would be just fine if he was if he was that good. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know if that's if that's really a compliment or not. Because like if you say it's like a Latvian BMW, it's, so it's like a lesser version of a BMW. So maybe maybe that's exactly what he is is a Latvian Kevin Durant. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so quickly here, what do you see as like the big strengths of this team? Um, Kawhi Leonard, basically Kawhi Leonard, yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 Pop and the system and and the corporate knowledge, which is you know year by year you're losing a little bit more of that. I, I think that's a big reason they brought back Patty 
and and Manu too was because you just don't want to lose all your guys who know what's going on. And you, little by little, you know, you know, guys are guys that were big on that corporate knowledge stuff. Guys like Tim Duncan, uh, you know, Tony Parker's here but not here. Like you're just losing some of that. So I think those are your strengths. Is is just Kawhi being awesome and the system and pop is really what your strengths are. I think. And and your bigs maybe yeah. if both your bigs play as as, as well as they can play. You're, you're too, you know, uh, Powell and Lamarcus if both of them have good years. But that that would be my answer to that. Yeah, I think they're they always have, are pretty good at protecting the rim. I, mm-hmm. I think they they are very good at not allowing shots at the rim. They also annually have one of the best defensive rebound rates in the league, which I thought might take a hit with Lee and Powell last year. Did not. They just system wide, they just do such a great job on the defensive glass. And then I would say, uh, you know, we talked about the mid range game, but also just isolation scoring. Mm, as yeah. well i mean there are yeah. maybe five guys in the league who can prevent Kawhi leonard from getting to the exact spot that he wants 14 feet from the basket and just creating space with that shoulder and shooting right over guys and he's you know an unstoppable force with that gay another guy who especially now that he'll be guarded if he's playing with Kawhi by the at best the second best guy on the other team you know not many teams are going to have someone to guard both gay and Kawhi if gay can get back to being a, a, the iso scorer that he was and then Lamarcus is another guy too where I think if he plays center more this year he'll be spreading the floor more but you know if you're going to switch on pick and roll if you're going to guard him with the traditional power forward especially because traditional powers forwards it now are, are kind of going away and it's more combo forwards uh, that you can get the ball down to him in the post and he can go to work as well so I think that's one of their big strengths yeah definitely definitely I mean they, they have a lot of guys who can create their own shot and and that's I don't know if that's rare in this league or not but it's it's certainly they have a lot of them and it's certainly a, a bonus maybe or a, a strength at least i don't know what i'm saying good grief <laughs> just well, I mean, it's, now. It, it's 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 a difficult thing to stop those type of isos unless you have really like a lot of really good defenders um what about weaknesses what do you see you know you mentioned you mentioned defense i'm not saying their whole defenses but one one thing um sort of underrated last year is they were the first half of the year they were they weren't bad defensively they were just sort of meh for for them you know kind of mediocre for them and then at the all-star yeah. break um Dwayne Dedman started starting at center and from that time on till the end of the regular season they were as good on defense um as they had been the season before when they had one of the best defensive seasons in two decades so I think the loss of Dwayne Dedman is going to be something interesting to me like how are they going to replace that now that said Dedman just fell off the face of the earth in the playoffs they didn't they didn't use him they didn't they didn't feel like he fit what they wanted to do in the playoffs but as far as their regular season numbers last year their defense got to be really good they finished number one in defensive efficiency I believe um, right. That's right. Yeah. And a lot of that, a lot of that turned around when Deadman replaced Powell in the starting lineup. And now they don't have that that guy. And Deadman was a he was a rim protector. He was a guy that we you know you've mentioned a couple times a guy that could that can switch and then defend out on the perimeter. Like you could see why they were better defensively with him in the game. Uh, and now they don't really have that that player at that position anymore. And I'm not saying Dwayne Deadman is like the linchpin of their defense, but I, I don't I don't you know we've lost the money a lot of money every year saying the Spurs defense is going to get worse because they lost player X Y Z and it hasn't really happened. So maybe they'll figure it out but that's certainly gonna be something that i'm gonna watch and then just just as other yeah. weaknesses it's just there's still not a lot of athleticism there's still not a lot of uh, yeah. i mean it's an older team it's, it's been an older team for 20 years i don't even know how you do that how you're old for 20 years um but um so there's not it's, it's a team that's going to win a lot on uh smarts on being together on having Kawhi leonard and you can win a lot of games in the regular season that way but by the time you get to the like the western conference finals you got a game uh, you got a team that's also very smart also has high basketball iq also plays the game the right way and also just has better more athletic players than you and you're overmatched 
So, uh, you know, I, I think uh, if you look at the Spurs going the season, they're going to be what they've, they've been, probably a very, very good team that's going to win a lot of games. And, I mean, you're not going to put your money on them to win the title. Could something screwy happen and they and they squeak out of the West and, and then win? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, I'm not going to say uh, there's no chance they're ever going to win a title with this group. But but um, in the age of the Warriors, it takes a whole – it takes a really, really good team yeah. to do that. I, I think there was a time, if you'd have told Spurs fans, you know, coming out of the Tim Duncan era, you're going to have – you know, Kawhi Leonard's going to be an MVP candidate. Uh, you're going to have LaMarcus Aldridge and Rudy Gay on your roster. You would thought that's a really awesome transition out of the Tim yeah. Duncan era. And now, you know, guy, people looking at it like, well, that can't beat the Warriors, though, so – what, what good is it, I guess? You know, yeah. that's how well, it's fans but, look but at you it, could, you know? Yeah. You could criticize their strategy a little bit for not saying, hey, we still have Kawhi Leonard. He's going to be in his prime for a long time. Maybe we should uh, maybe we should allow, uh, you know, just kind of stopgap it for a couple of years, and then we can rebuild around him when maybe the Warriors would be more beatable. A couple other things that, that I noted, weaknesses. Um, their shooting, I thought, was a problem last year. I think if Mills plays more this year, I think they actually, to me, should be better offensively. I think Kawhi will take another little step forward, Gay is a better secondary scorer than anyone they had last year. I think Danny Green can shoot the ball better than he did. And just having that spacing with Mills, I thought they're just much better offensively when he was out there necessarily than than Parker. Um, When Murray's in, the shooting could maybe be a problem. And then the other thing I would look at actually is passing as a weakness on this team. Pau Gasol, probably the best passer on this team. I don't think you can really look at anyone else on this team and say this guy's a a good passer for what his position and role is. That's a good point that I hadn't even thought of. I mean, their best passers are 38 and 40 years old. Manu Ginobili. Yeah, Ma- yeah Manu. I, I, yeah, I, I'm shorting him by not mentioning Manu. But, and it's and it's yeah. funny because I think it was only a couple years ago I wrote a story about just uh, just the phenomenal amount of passers on this team. And Because you were talking about they had a Boris Diaw and a Tiago Splitter and Manu and Marco Bellinelli and and all you know all these guys. And you're, you're, I didn't, it didn't dawn on me until you just said it. But yeah, the those guys are all gone and they've been replaced by a lot of just sort of ISO scorer types. You know, Kawhi for all his for all his greatness isn't a isn't a superior passer. You know, Rudy Gay's not a guy that's that's gonna pass circles around you and um you know their point guards aren't aren't Magic Johnson, you know. So I I, I you think of the Spurs as being the good to great, beautiful game, ball movement team. Um I don't know how you do that with when your best passers are, you know, thirty eight and forty years old and might be, you know, coming off your bench. Yeah, and I do think Parker is wasn't a great passer but at least was someone who could get some penetration and, yep, and yep. get get kind of get things kind of started where there's a double team and then you could right. move the ball around for all that though the spurs were ninth in percentage of assisted baskets a year ago 60.6 percent so maybe maybe that's overblown i think they will be a good defense or, or offense i think they'll be you know a top seven offense maybe all right uh you ready to uh do a prediction here yeah i can try. actually let's 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 hold on let's do a commercial first and then then uh because we got to tease that a, a little bit um i can go first if you want me to though but yeah let's do a commercial real quick be right back with jeff momentarily but first a word from betterment betterment presents financial fact number 24 not all financial advisors are required by law to act in your best interests this means that if you're better off investing in company a they may advise you to invest in company b instead because they may get a kickback from that transaction a financial advisor that commits to inviting advice in your best interest is called a fiduciary and betterment is a fiduciary betterment is the largest independent online financial advisor and promises to act in its customers best interests how betterment is built on technology to bring you sophisticated investing and financial advice 
constantly working to optimize your money and help you reach your financial goals, all at a lower cost than more traditional financial services. And if you like talking to a person, Betterment also offers calls with their team of CFP professionals and licensed financial experts. Regardless of what service you prefer, you pay only a flat fee starting at 0.25%, no additional charges for transactions, transfers, or rebalancing. Betterment offers other special tools as well, like tax impact review, allowing you to see the estimated effect any moves you make may have on your tax liability. Not all investment services tell you what your tax bill could be because they may make money from your transactions. Betterment also has Smart Deposit, which allows you to automatically invest any funds above a certain balance in your bank account. This is a great time to get started with Betterment and save for your retirement or other financial goals because Duntown listeners can get up to one year with no management fees. Learn how at betterment.com slash capspace. That's betterment.com slash capspace. All right, so I, I'm happy to go first here with my predicted record because uh, actually I, I've I, last year when I did this, I was always like two wins below whatever the other person said. So I want to avoid that this year. I, I'll go first. I'm going to say that the Spurs will win 58 games this season. I actually predicted 59 last year. They won 61, although I think their expected record was only one win less than that. So the expected record was 60. I think they'll take a little bit of a step back especially defensively during the season. So I'll go with 58 wins for the Spurs this year. Okay, so last year for our preseason um, edition, I had to predict the record. And I think I said 55, and I was clearly wrong. They won 61. They topped 60 wins again. I'm I'm sure your your Twitter followers uh, took that completely in stride and and entirely reasonably. But only only here could could (laughs) could could, only here could 55 wins be like you're you're you're, you know, cutting them down, you know, 55 wins is a great season and so I, anyway i think i'll go back to that i'll say 55 i'll say 55 which is a great season everybody that's a great season yeah that's still might that still might be second in the west we don't know i, I really think you're gonna i mean yeah. this is not this is not a huge prediction but you're really gonna see the spurs and rockets duking it out for that number two spot in the west and I, as much as everyone loves the rockets uh and i get it like i'm not gonna slight anyone that wants to give the rockets that number two spot i'm not gonna be shocked if the spurs pull it up pull, pull it out either yeah if they do win 55 i don't think that'll be yeah, enough to i know get them the- i know the two seed. Well, well, so why do you think they're going to be six wins worse than they were last year? <sighs> I just because I'm a I'm a uh, the uh, just sixty one wins is a lot yeah. of wins. That that was my, that was sort of my whole. Yeah. Uh, argument last year it's not that i think they're going to be a whole lot worse it's just they they always seem to yeah. play over their head and maybe i would just get it through my thick skull that hey yes they always seem to play over their head so whatever you think it's going to be jeff if you think it's 55 why don't you give them a couple more and say 57 58 <laughs> but for, for the purposes of this podcast i will i will go with 55 and you know just i hope everyone forgives me if i'm completely wrong yeah no and i could see that happening there are definitely a lot of forces that i i think are, are pulling them down a little bit i do think the defense will be worse but i actually think the offense could be a little bit better and i also i mean they need to have home court advantage in that series against houston which will probably be the two three again this season i thought home court advantage was absolutely critical for them last year i mean i don't think they win that game five with Kawhi out without the home court advantage so i I mean and this is a spurs team that incorrect me if i'm wrong i mean i can't remember the last time they won a series when they didn't have home court advantage it's been a long time yeah, I can't. I can't think of one off the top of my head. Maybe uh, 08 against New Orleans in the conference semifinals. Yeah, that's, that might be the last one so that comes was, to mind they, for me. They yeah. got to a game seven with the Clippers uh, a couple years ago, but that's they lost it right. on a you know on a basically a buzzer beater. But that's that's as close as I can think of where they won a series where they've been the uh, they've been the underdog. Um, so what about uh like best? Uh, well, all right. Well, let me ask you this: Do you think they make it to the West Finals? 
I, I, I really think it's a, something close to a coin flip between them and Houston. I would like to see I would like to see Houston and how that all comes together. Because um, you know, adding Chris Paul would seem to make Houston better. I just I'm always with all with all these uh, with all this type of stuff. I just like to see how it looks on the floor and whether guys can coexist and whether it does um, just how it looks. So I, I really do think it's going to be something of a coin flip between Houston and and um, the Spurs for that second spot. And there's and there's other teams in the West that you never know. I mean, that can that can that can slip up there and, and kind of win some games. I don't know. I think the middle of the West, maybe you agree with me, the middle of the West kind of took a step back a little. You know, Oklahoma City jumped up a little, added Paul George, but but Utah loses um, loses Gordon, and, and uh, the Clippers obviously are no longer – a top yeah. four team team in the West. I mean, it really looks like a three team race yeah. to me. I'm, I'm not I'm not quite ready to put uh, Minnesota necessarily into that category yeah. yet, or, or yeah. Denver either. Um, yeah. No, I think I think maybe I think OKC has a chance to be really really good. I when I did the their podcast with Fred Katz, uh, I put them at best case scenario, which I'll ask you about it at 59 wins. So, what do you see as the Spurs' best case scenario for the season? Kind of everything goes right, everyone stays healthy. Where are they at? Like everyone, every everyone stays healthy. Like Kevin Durant never makes it back from India. Uh, Steph, <laughs> Steph, Steph falls into the bay. Then I think they got a shot to win. No, um, man, they could be right where they were last year. Like I'm not going to put that past sure. them. Win, win sixty games, get to the West Finals, and if they stay healthy, let's you know let's duke it out with with this Golden State team uh, and see who wins wins the West. The other problem with Golden State, and maybe you can maybe you agree disagree. I think they got better too. Like. I think they're a little better than they were oh, last yeah. year. So you, you, you're certainly from a depth standpoint. Yeah, uh, maybe Steph Curry could take a little bit of a step back because he's he's going to be 30 by the end of the season. You know, maybe he falls off just a little bit. You know, maybe KD in his late 20s falls off just a little bit. Uh, maybe Draymond Green, who's really dependent on his athleticism, falls off just a little bit. Uh, maybe that happens, but certainly in terms of the depth, they're going to be fresher at the end of the year. I mean, they can just sit one of their main guys every game and still probably be a favorite versus anybody in the league yeah so i you know it's hard to see any team in the west and this was probably true last year in the year but any team in the west you know punching their way past that golden state team it's going to take some bad luck on golden state's part yeah one of Curry or durant would have to go down yeah, i think to, to feel good um, about, but what about in terms of wins yeah, yeah what about that, in terms of wins what do you think uh, they could get back to 60 61 I, I don't think that's out of the realm yeah. of possibility yeah, I, I would say 62. I think they could. It wouldn't shock me if they're better better than last year. I mean, I might even say 63 wouldn't wouldn't shock me either. Though they, if they're there, then you know maybe they're even pushing Golden State for the for the number one seed. How about a worst case scenario? I mean, and, and I don't want to say like, all right, you know, Kawhi Leonard blows out his knee on the first game of the season, but you know, some of the guys that are injured maybe don't. You know, Rudy Gay never really makes it all the way back, and, and you know, Pau takes a step back, Lamarcus takes a step back due to age. Kawhi is kind of just the same guy, doesn't return. They don't get anything out of Parker. The rookies don't improve. Like, what do you see as like kind of their floor, assuming like reasonable health? Like, I could never, I could never predict just flat anything less than fifty wins for these guys because they've just done it for whatever it is twenty years in a row. Um, but I've seen them win fifty even before. Well, <laughs> see, I've seen them win, you know, fifty even, fifty one, fifty two. Um, so it, you know, there's that's not out of the realm of the possibility. If a lot goes wrong, um, they end up in that in that situation. I do think like just the league is. The league isn't great all over the place. Like there's just there's just some easy wins and easy stretches in there where it's just hard to 
see a team like the Spurs, basically if Kawhi is Kawhi and healthy most of the year, it's hard to see a team like the Spurs not winning even in the mid fifties, low fifties, mid fifties. You know, I don't, I don't see them falling past that. I mean, I don't think we're looking at a lottery team here at all, even, even with some of the Minnesotas of the world and the Denver's of the world kind of jumping up. I I think you're still looking like a worst case scenario, middle of the pack team, like maybe worst case they're fifth and don't have home court in the first round and everybody loses their mind. But I, you know, I don't see, I don't see any like total disasters. And I've kind of had this kind of playful argument with people before, like maybe the Spurs do need a disaster. Maybe they do need to go down on a lottery and just, you know, that's an easy way to get a, get a, 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 an uber talented player is to be a lottery team. Like nobody wants to do that in San Antonio. That's what happened in 1997. Yes, exactly. The Spurs would never do that on, on, would never admit to that. They want to be competitive every year, but it's it's like, sometimes I tell the guys, you just need to suck for like two years, go down there and just reload. It's it's what, it's what every other team in the league has to do, you know, in order to rebuild. So what makes you guys so special? Eventually with with Kawhi Leonard, that's yeah. yeah. If Kawhi went down, maybe it would happen. I mean, I would say like 52 would probably be somewhere in there. Yeah. the, The worst case. Yeah. All right, man. Well, this was great. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. And we'll uh, tell people where to follow you on Twitter and, and where to follow your work. Jeff is uh, my Spurs guy on my essential basketball Twitter list to, to keep up with uh, <laughs> what's going on in San Antonio. What's your Twitter, Jeff? Oh, it's uh, it's at J McDonald. That's J-M-C-D-O-N-A-L-D underscore S-A-E-N. San Antonio Express News, S-A-E-N. You can find me there. It's kind of an unwieldy handle that I, uh, I'm taking suggestions for changing but uh for now that's what it is that's what it is <laughs> all right man well thanks this is great and uh looking forward to seeing you for some of these marquee games uh in oakland uh, during the season yes sir thanks for having me